You've been chosen. Hello and welcome to the back page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Sammy Roberts and I'm joined today by Matthew Castle. Hello. How's things over in your postcode, Matthew? They are very, very good. I often enter your postcode. I go for a little walks uh, every couple of days and I, I wander around your flats. Um, not in a creepy way. Um, but uh, so I, you, if, you, if you sometimes look out your window, you may spot a very red-faced me. Uh, go huffing by. There's a, a number of great landmarks in my postcode, including the petrol station. If you want to get yourself a lovely bit of tuba smarties for your walk, yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of live in a dystopian sort of a state where all the flats look identical, but the ambience is kind of nice. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Dystopia's good or bad? Who can really say? It's. Uh, I, you know, I like. I like. I like that petrol station because it has an Indian restaurant attached to it, which is meant to be very, <laughs> very nice. But I always think, I don't know. Do I want to eat a restaurant that touches a petrol station? Hmm. <laughs> I think there's like, a, I mean, they're technically not the same business, if that reassures you. Oh, no, you. they're like, separate. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm not saying they're run by the same people, but I, I don't know. Just <laughs> the idea of knowing that through that wall there's a car wash happening, uh, I find that weird. That's true, but it's not like you can go in there and order a Dupiazza and then also pay for your unleaded. Do you know what I mean? It's <laughs> like uh, there's a separation of uh, church and state, yeah. nonetheless. Um, yeah, so Matthew, this is part two of our Games of the Generation podcast, and. There's not much preamble here because we might as well just get into it. We had lots of preamble last time, so um, if you want to hear the um, bottom 15 of our top 30 lists, you can listen to the previous episode um, where we talk a bit about PlayStation versus Xbox and stuff. Um, I'll re-establish the criteria. These are PS4, Xbox One and Wii U games. It seems a bit arbitrary, but we just want to kind of put a, I don't know, like a, a capper on the generation, I suppose. Otherwise, the generation stretches out forever, and you can argue the 3DS is the previous generation, etc., etc. But Matthew, mm-hmm. I was curious if you changed your top 15 at all after our last conversation. Uh, I actually haven't. I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident in in them, and uh, I think they are the right and definitive 15. So, <laughs> what about yourself? Yeah, I did change them a bit. I didn't actually, I didn't take any games out or anything, but I did rearrange the order of the top 15. Um, I think that's just because there's at least one game in my top 15 where a few people at home will go, ah, oh, fuck off, at the um, the suggestion of it. And I wanted to head them off at the pass by bumping it down from the high position I had before. I will right. mention which game this is when I get to it, but um, otherwise you seem pretty confident in your choices, yeah? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. I'm really intrigued to see what your your upsetting entry is now so i'm well, gonna it, i'm gonna shout oh fuck off after every single one <laughs> well no one will contest that it's a good game but um well you'll see you'll see um so shall we jump straight into it matthew yeah let's do it cool so i uh, forget who was going first is it you or me i think it's you isn't it yeah do you want to go first this time just to mix it up yeah sure all right um okay so matthew my number 15 it's doom eternal not on my is list this on your list Right, okay, well, we talked a tiny bit about Doom in the last episode, and that sort of hinted to me that it, this wasn't on your list. I should say, actually, to listeners at home, uh, we have no idea what each other's lists are. We're surprising each other as we go, I guess, yeah. just to kind of give it a bit of spice, um, make some good content. But, um, yeah, so Doom Eternal, I, um, this is the highest first-person shooter on my list. That's a complete lie. There's another one. I'm just completely wrong about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, in five entries' time, there'll be another one. Um, but this is like the highest single-player um, first-person shooter on my list. So I, th- I, I sort of it represents having Doom Eternal and Doom 2016, that kind of like duology of games that are actually surprisingly different from each other. I mean, it's probably why Doom Eternal took so many years to make. Um, but um, yeah, I uh, we talked a bit about this on the Best Games of 2020 podcast. 
I think the pace of this is fantastic. I really love what it did to kind of reinvent Doom this generation. Mm. Um, I love the different enemy types. I love the kind of relationship between melee combat and um, and shooting. I think that's really well done. Every interaction in this game feels really good. Loads of like lovely animations. The level design in um, Doom Eternal was particularly great. A uh, real variety of settings. And uh, yeah, I rate it. And I think that these are games that people will just play for years and years and talk about. Uh, with reverence um just for decades to come and um yeah really cool to see a reinvention of a series this old this generation um done so well so uh yeah yeah a- absolutely i i love both doom and doom eternal this gen um doom eternal is probably at number 31 for me it very almost made the list um i absolutely adored it last year it was such a great thing um yeah i think you're right it just has an energy and a pace to it no other shooter has um, I really like it when you throw the grenades in the space hopper demon's mouth and then it kind of belches and then you pull out its eye. That's really good. Um, yeah, that's what I have to say on Doom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I sort of um, took your point last generation that there weren't that many of that kind of old Call of Duty style of campaign shooter this generation. Mm. Um, and, th- and there weren't many of this either, that kind of like lineage of um, old kind of mazy. Uh, sort of windows um yeah it feels you know, like early it's, window shooters it feels like it's something that's maybe coming back in like indie space you know that there have been quite mm. a few um things that kind of hark back to the sort of the mid 90s period uh this is where i'm unable to na- un- name any of them they've all got single names like shed Hexen. and things like that <laughs> Yeah, Hexen, kind of heretic, those sort of games. Yeah, those, um, those. Yeah, there's, there's been quite a few, uh, very, very super fast paced, hectic maze sort of labyrinth shooters the last couple of years because I know RPS, you know, obviously covered them a lot and went nuts for them. But um, yeah, it's it's weird. It's not a period I have like a huge affection for. Like when when these shooters were picking up in the nineties, I was just playing a lot of nerdy point and click adventures. So. <laughs> Uh, you know, maybe that's a genre will come back too. Unlikely. Oh, <laughs> it kind of, it kind of did, sort of, with uh, Broken Age and the um, remasters of Lucas Arts games, and you've yeah. got the um, Blackwell games as well. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. That's fair. Yeah, you're not happy, Matthew. Jesus. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, you, the games you're referring to there were like a Medieval and Dusk. Um, that's those it. Those were like not yeah. Shed Dusk. <laughs> shed. Yeah. I've, somehow Shed is a less evocative title. I don't know why, but um, yeah. So. Yeah, you're right. There's um, there's a bit of um, a resurrection going on there. There's also um, a thief alike that's being made by someone. I can't remember who, but it was announced at the PC Gaming Show a while ago. Um, it might already be out, and I've forgotten what it is. So, instead of dwelling on that, let's move to your number 15, Matthew. Uh, my number 15 is Mario Kart 8. Not on my list, and I'll explain why after you've talked about the game. Oh, my God. This is going to be like Mario killed a family member in a hit and run in his cart, and you've never forgiven him. <laughs> Yeah, my best uh, my best friend was killed by a blue shell. Um, <laughs> yeah, I try not to talk about it. Um, so talk me through it, Matthew. Why Mario Kart 8? Uh, this was just uh, a, a Nintendo team firing on all cylinders. Mario Kart 8 is the Mario Galaxy of Mario Karts. Just an incredible burst of invention and colour. Um, one of the best soundtracks of the generation. It's got this, like... Sort of very jazzy, sort of swing band vibe, and when you hear it, it's one of those soundtracks that you can see the musicians in the room having just an amazing jam. Um, 
I doubt that they cared that they were doing it for Mario Kart, but it sounds great and it kind of imbues the game with this this amazing energy. Um, the kind of gimmick in this one was the tracks are sort of anti-gravity, so it's kind of Mario Kart meets F-Zero, where you can drive on the ceiling and drive on the walls, and they're kind of impossible spaces, which is the the Mario Galaxy connection. And, it, I, you know, I, I don't think mechanically it does anything too complicated. I think it's, you know, really the core basics of Mario Kart done very well. Um, but just the the invention of the tracks, you know, they're, you know, I don't really think there's many duds in there. Uh, you know, there's the, the new batch of tracks. They've taken some tracks from the classic games and kind of remade them and they feel as new and fresh because they've updated them with some of the newer mechanics also done the soundtrack on them the n64 rainbow road sat music is just absolute bliss um i would uh you know i would happily have that played at my funeral um actually probably not (laughs) it's a bit hectic (laughs) the vibe Uh, might be a bit weird in the room um, it depends how you die, I suppose. Um, <laughs> if it's old age, I think it'll be fine. But if it's anything else, it might be a bit awkward. Yeah, after a very long, prolonged time in hospital, uh, <laughs> I don't know if the parping wonderment of a rainbow road set in space is necessarily what everyone wants. But you know, um, as I go to the great rainbow road in the sky, that's what I refer to as heaven. Uh, uh, yeah, I just uh, th- this was just like pure polish pure class i mean it's uh following you know if you listen to our earlier podcast where i was talking about mario kart wii which i really didn't get on very well with at all i thought it was so lacking in personality it was so sort of vague and flabby um this was super tight it just looked amazing from a magazine perspective it was just so nice to have a game we could like properly crow about um Art cover art so nice that I did it two issues in a row, as you'll know from our covers from hell. Um, um, yeah, and and I sort of I associate this game with like some really good times on O and M because we just hired Kate, Joe uh, Scrabbles was still on the mag, and you know p- doing multiplayer features on this, and the three of us going to um, Nintendo UK headquarters to play this as a little gang. Uh, it was just, it was really good fun. It was a really good bonding exercise. Um, it also helps that it absolutely rocks. Um, but because only five Wii U's were sold, they obviously re-released this on Switch. Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which you could also play and have a great time with. Um, just a, a, what a sumptuous thing. I love it. Yeah, so um, I completely agree. I, I love it. I remember playing it at E3 2013 um, in Nintendo's like uh, treehouse thingy-majig, whatever that was called. Um and remember thinking, like, it was the second of the um, Wii U HD games that I played at that point. Um, like, or like new Wii U games. So I played Mario 3D World, then I played this back to back. And it was that, um, the track that's like by a beach, um, and it's got like the anti grav panels kind of curving up the side of the track. Um, maybe this doesn't narrow it down. Uh, God damn it. Um, but um, nonetheless, I remember thinking, wow, this is what a Nintendo game looks like in HD, and it is, like, incredibly beautiful. And mm. even though the Wii U was completely kind of, like, uh, not really taken that seriously by people, I, do, I, I remember looking at that thinking, how can you not, like, see that um, Nintendo making a Mario Kart in HD is, like, a real event? You know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. The only reason I didn't make my list, Matthew, is because I, I so closely associate this as a Switch game, and I figure I'll have another chance to talk about it down the line. That's... I did buy it on Wii U, but yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely fine. I think I think that's true for a lot of people. Mm. 
yeah, I mean, and what a great thing to pick up with your Switch on day one. I mean, obviously it wasn't made knowing that the Joy-Cons existed. Well, maybe it was, I don't know. Might, they, they probably knew a little bit about it. But um, I think that that's where it became a transformative experience for me. It's like playing at a pub in Brighton with my girlfriend and just putting the Switch on the table. I mean, yeah, there's yeah. no socially acceptable way to do that, to be honest. But um, <laughs> it's uh, nonetheless, just the, there was just real magic to seeing it on Switch. But um, no, I agree. It was, it was, I think it was the best-selling Wii U game. It, I think it sold like one in every two consoles. Wow, so it sold 18 copies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a great done. Congratulations to Mario Kart 8. <laughs> I stand by my verdict as well that you you were right to put it on your cover twice in uh, as we discussed in that previous episode. I thought it was um yeah, it was great. Uh so my number fourteen, Matthew, is Super Mario three D World. So I won't talk about this too much, um, because we've got an episode coming up on it, I think, next week. Um so yeah, this oh, is a I, uh, I feel bad for calling this my most disappointing game of the generation. <laughs> No, I mean, I uh, I think that's fine. So um, a little kind of rough plan of what we've got next week. We're going to talk a bit about um, this game because it's coming to Switch uh, for the first time um, with a new component attached to it. So it's a game we can talk about with some authority. I'm really keen to hear what Matthew thinks of its kind of place in the um, Mario 3D sort of canon. Uh, we got a bit of that last week. Um, the verdict was not good. Um, <laughs> And uh, Matthew's going to talk a bit about what it's like to write about Mario games over and over again. Um, so that should be um, quite a fun episode. But um, yeah, I really love this game. I think that it's it's one of two Wii U games I finished, basically. Mm. Um, and I know it must be good because I went through the hassle of plugging it in at my girlfriend's house so we could play it in co-op. And um, playing co-op on the Wii U, like one person having the Wii U controller, the other person having like a, a Wii controller and playing it with... You know, the D-pad, ah, oh, what a pain in the ass that was. Um, yeah, it did. It, it's sort of like, but despite that, it was it was worth it. It's a, I, I agree that it, this is not the most inventive Mario game when it comes to, like, spectacle and sort of level design. But, like, the wide open spaces of the levels and the kind of, like, the feeling that it's kind of old 2D Mario, but just truly translated into 3D mm. for, like, four players to share, like, a... I don't know it feels it feels more like it's a I don't know like the the evolution of like New Super Mario Brothers Wii or something like that mm. um, where it was like how can we make this work for multiple players but um, I've never played it as a single player game so I couldn't really talk about it on that basis but I did really like Mario 3D Land the um, 3DS predecessor that led mm. to this um, so yeah I, I, I rate it Matthew do you have any further thoughts on it No I, like I said I, I've not properly played it in co-op and when I say it's disappointing like. It's still probably like a 9 out of 10 for me. I mean, it's it's only disappointing by the standards of it's not... It didn't beat the, you know, my favourite game of all time, but that is what I expect from Mario. Uh, so <laughs> it's more just like my incredibly harsh rule. I mean, there's a lot to love about this. Again, amazing soundtrack. Nintendo's soundtracks from... I'm mean, from Galaxy onwards, but like the Wii U generation was just oh, absolutely superb. They just get in a freaking jazz band and just go just have a good old time and it just oh. really translates on screen you're like oh yeah this is great i'm having so much fun yeah it's um also such a such a funny game to play in co-op like um you kind of find yourself racing to every single bit of the level so um racing to get down a pipe going to the next bit and if you're if you say you skid past the pipe and your partner goes down first then you go down three seconds later that pause is funny like that that pause is comedic and, and it's like it creates humor in a way that like all the great the best co-op games do um yeah i think this is magic it's it's really good that it's been salvaged and um and people can play on switch and mm. um, for most people it'll be a new experience right so uh yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. all right matthew hit me with your number 13 
Um, 14. My number 14 is... <laughs> Sorry, yeah. That's all right. It's Rayman Legends. Wow. Okay. I would never have guessed this was on your list. Oh, um, this me. is so good. This is so good. This is like my favourite 2D platformer of the generation. I loved Rayman Origins. I thought I thought it was, you know, just the, the feel of the character, the sort of momentum and the, the little bit of air steer you get on Rayman. It's, it's just really, really satisfying. He's a really nice character to control. And I do not care for Rayman. Like, tr- until Rayman Origins, Rayman was absolutely, like, in with the crashes and the spiros and <laughs> the gexes of the world. But, yeah, I, I really liked Origins, but I just thought Legends was such a... Um, such a step up, like really coherent, big, funny ideas. Like every level had like a funny little narrative to it or a big kind of visual idea or some kind of mad gimmick. Um, this made brilliant use of the Wii U pad. Like it, it's a funny game because I think a lot of people who played it on other consoles were maybe didn't get the full wallop of, of what the kind of co-op was for because this was originally announced as a Wii U exclusive, I'm pretty sure, and it was only quite late in the day that it was also coming to everything else. But on Wii U, you, you had a lot of like interactive level elements because you, you basically controlled a, a little kind of sort of sort of fairy character with um with the touchpad. And on console, it was just it was quite balked what they did with the character. It was it was nowhere near as as sort of sophisticated or well done. But this was a genuinely brilliant like TV Wii U pad combo game in co-op um yeah like i say just just the level of creativity i mean the the levels i think a lot of people remember from this are set to music they're like choreographed so they're almost like auto runners in that like every jump like when you hit them it'll be on the beat of the music and it just feels like a big playable music number um this is just i i i I love this game i think the craft of it uh, so much love and attention and it really bums me out that Ubisoft Montpellier are now they're working on, you know, that whatever that beyond good and evil thing's gonna be when they should just be making more Raymans because they're absolutely like the best platformers going uh two D platformers going. But instead they're, you know, kowtowing to like five people who liked a game twenty years ago. So And and making a sequel that will probably never come out, yeah. I would guess. What a waste um, of everyone's time. Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, this was great. Again, a bit of Wii U, like a bit of O and N nostalgia. Like just to have a game which arrived and was just firing on all cylinders. You were like, "This is the stuff." You know, this is what you want. Something where you could sort of feel proud and excited of. You know, as a magazine, I, I say proud. I didn't make Rayman Legends. I should point out. Um, <laughs> but just by association with it, you were like, "Yeah, this is this is great." I mean, particularly as you know. I have found Mario's 2D offerings pretty bad for quite a long time. Like, I'm not a fan of the new Super Mario Brothers series at all. Like, I think they're incredibly flat-feeling um, games. Um, again, that's heresy to some, but, uh, yeah, this was just, mm. yeah, just wild. What a wild thing. And, you know, what, what a redemption arc for horrible Rayman. I mean, he doesn't have elbows, which is just disgusting. Um, but uh, now he's all right. Yeah, that's good. I mean, he's a, a 90s platforming icon, earned redemption with Matt Castle. Is there any greater endorsement? I mean, oh, wow. imagine if someone did that for like Crash or Spy. That would be, if you managed to make a Crash game I liked, I mean, <laughs> that, is, that would be a true miracle. You'd be the Jesus of game development. <laughs> um, I agree with you that this, um, I remember playing this on PS3 and thinking, it feels a bit, it, do, it does feel a bit made for Wii U. There's some like 
placing items on the screen elements that I recall being made for the Wii U yeah. controller that don't translate it quite as well. Yeah. Um, but it did look amazing. Um, and you could play it in co-op, right? Yeah, great. Yeah, great co-op game. Just really easy drop in drop out um yeah just just very accessible uh very sort of friendly to court players uh you know there wasn't a huge amount of interaction between the court players it was more just like four people kind of chaotically kind of gambling through a level but that was fine that was fine yeah cool Uh, so that's an interesting choice i actually like i had no idea how sort of into 2d platformers you were really so um that's something i don't really know about you but, um, yeah, I like, yeah, yeah. I, I like them enough. I'm a big, I like, it's quite hard to go back from like the stunning, what, what some people have achieved in 3D, I feel, but um, yeah. Yeah, okay, fair enough. So number 13 for me, Matthew, it's PT on the PS4. Oh, um, that's a good shout. This is, well, this is the game that I thought everyone would go, fuck off, to. Um, oh, God, because... oh, I thought I was going to get ahead of that. That wasn't what I, God damn it, all right. <laughs> Yeah, you forgot to shout "fuck off" yeah, at the I beginning did. of every year. Uh, yeah, what a blunder on your part! You'll just have to uh, inexplicably shout "fuck off" at every uh, succeeding entry that I read. I'll just go back in and edit it in in like a <laughs> robot. I'll, I'll use one of those robot voice generators. <laughs> uh, so yeah, PT. Um, I put this in here. 2014 um, horror game. Now kind of like uh, sort of legendary. Um, I know there's a few people in the uh, sort of itch. Uh, itch kind of horror demo scene who are sick of PT and sick of seeing PT like remade by loads of different people. Yeah. Um, but um, as an original kind of horror creation, this is one of the best horror games ever made. Um, and it was a free game, but if this cost £10, I think I would still have it in the same place on my list. Um, mm. Obviously, it's like a looping corridor. Um, there is uh, something has happened in this um, sort of like uh, sub- suburban house kind of environment, and you're kind of investigating what's going on a lot of it is quite abstract you have to sort of piece it together it's mostly about the imagery and the sounds that the game hits you with as you go through each corridor loop um very unpredictable uh, as a lot of people know there's stuff that may happen on your playthrough that won't happen on other people's playthroughs um all these years later no one can definitively say how you're supposed to end it um, which i find really interesting uh, i think it's deeply upsetting that whatever this game's kind of like the ethos was behind this game konami just abandoned it um i don't truly believe that silent hills was going to look like this i think that i think that kojima saw this as like a, a cool way to kind of marry marry it to a, a game that he had in mind i don't think this is what silent hills would have been mm. um but not, the way it kind of obviously uh, teased a game that was to never be uh, sucks but um the silent hills thing isn't something i'm that cut up about it's more just like the group of designers who made this could have made like the best full length horror game ever and i feel like we're never gonna see see them do that because mm. i think they're, i think a few of them are scattered to the wind i thought i think jordan amaro is one of the developers of this and i think he works for nintendo now um yeah so um Yes, I uh, PT. I love it, Matthew. Oh, what did you great. make yeah. of it? Properly scary. I mean, one of the trends of last generation, I thought, was the how the horror game basically gave up on being scary and just started being kind of ooh, psychologically chilling, which is which is a code word for boring. Um, <laughs> and um, but this was actually. I mean, this is like genuinely the only game I've actually screamed out loud at, which. Um, I was playing this with Catherine in um, when I was living in London, and we were f- we didn't know how to finish it, and we were we were following a walkthrough guide online, and because it was like you say, it's super abstract, and 
none of the walkthroughs agree. Like some people are like, well, oh, telephone rings, and if you pick it up on the fourth ring, and then you know, say cheesecake into your ex- into your PlayStation <laughs> mic, a ghost will appear. Like it, it's a game full of urban legends. It's it's quite it's a fascinating sort of artifact. Um, yeah. But- we did this process and then nothing changed and we were like oh well it's obviously broken or we did it wrong and then we turned around the the corner the bend in the corridor and there was a person at the other end of the corridor and for a split second we were both like oh it's that person and then it just rushed towards us incredibly fast and both of us went ah and then i had to walk around my house apologizing to my housemates telling them that i was okay that i was just playing a very scary computer game (laughs) Um, uh, and these were not just like this was when I was living in London. I lived with like genuine adult professionals. They were all like lawyers or worked in the Bank of Bank of England and things like that. And they always thought my job was ridiculous. I remember telling them about Pikmin, and then that basically <laughs> defined my relationship with them ever since. Like whenever I saw them in the house, they'd be like, "Who collected any giant apples recently?" Like I was obviously just a fool. Um, but uh, yeah, luckily this kind of over overwrote that experience and i was just the weird screaming boy in the attic yeah i mean hey you know like um let's face it in 2021 who's more popular the man who enjoys pikmin or a banker pt uh yeah i uh i remember screaming at it as well like um i've played this several times and i'm actually one of the only games i've streamed um with um people um which is a very like hackneyed thing to do but um i was drunk with a friend in, in cardiff and we just thought it'd be fun um my friend lynch who actually listens to this um hey lynch and so um yeah it was uh just really sort of surprising i agree with you that like i i now i now know that if i get to that end bit and i you walk 10 steps i think it is and then say jareth into the microphone <laughs> no. that works for some reason <laughs> That works. There's, um, I am like that's just saying Jareth in the microphone is that's so preposterous. <laughs> yeah, it is. So, can I truly say this is one of the best games of the generation where you have to end it by saying Jareth? Uh, Jareth, how did anyone come across that? <laughs> I wonder if it's like meant to be something else, but like it's close enough to the syllables Jareth. of Jareth. Yeah. <laughs> mispronouncing gareth amazing um yeah so the other thing is that like um there's stuff in this that people were discovering years later one of my favorite things that happens in this game is when the ghost appears at the window in front of you when you're walking down that first corridor out the door Mm. um she can appear there and start vibrating and it's fucking awful like it's just (laughs) absolutely awful um yeah and uh vibrating ghost (laughs) Um, but yeah, now I can actually now I can play it reasonably comfortably. I, know, I like I know how to not be killed by the ghosts and stuff like that. There are mechanics to it. Um, it's not all random. And um, yeah, uh, what a phenomenal um, uh, work. Which I yeah I I must say like Resident Evil Seven did not make my list, and I don't think it's a great game. And I think all the things it does well, it sort of borrows from PT. And yeah, like even including releasing like a demo before the game came out to try and get people interested, yeah. um, which they've just done with Resident Evil Village I, as well. I do, I do like Seven, but it's kind of like dumb PT, but it is quite <laughs> full on. Like I think it has some like it actually has some jump scares in it. I don't think it's particularly sort of you know it didn't frighten me, you know, but it did make me jump, which is like considering the state of horror games this generation, like I would actually settle for that. Well, hit me with your uh, your number. 12 no my number 13, number 13. is <laughs> the numbers Maths. the numbers are really escaping us this week <laughs> yeah it's tough yeah. it's um persona 5 royal mm, that, see it's on my list but um 
not the royal version. Well, uh, should we, let's talk about Persona 5 when we get higher up. and Because I, I was umming and ahhing about this, and we can talk about that more generally. Should we do that? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, the next game is definitely something you've played too, Matthew, so you can weigh in on this one. Uh, number 12 is Resident Evil 2 Remake. So I was just uh, slagging off Resident Evil 7 there. Um, this uh, I, I'm not really like a purist when it comes to Resident Evil. I just think if you're going to do something, um, if you're going to innovate with the series, just do it well. And I think that Resident Evil 7 basically turns into as much of an action game as Resident Evil 5 by the end of it. You're definitely. just shooting big blob monsters. Yeah, definitely. You know, you're right. Like... I think people like the Baker Mansion and not the rest of it. Yeah, absolutely. So that first hour is amazing when you're walking around the house and you're kind of like, you see the dude in the yard and it's like, you're going through the crawl space, all that really scary. And then, yeah, turns very silly by the end. Um, But Resident Evil 2 Remake, Matthew, um, we both went to the same preview event to play this. Uh, I remember that being like a really weird day that ended in Yumi and Rich Stanton eating KFC um, by um, (laughs) Paddington Station. Good times. But um, what's your kind of take on Resident Evil 2 Remake? Uh, Yeah, I I really like this. I didn't have like a huge connection to Resident Evil 2, the original. Like I've played it, but it's not like a, you know, I know for some people it's like a top game of all time, but I, I didn't really have that relationship with PlayStation back in the day, I don't think. Um, well, obviously it was on other platforms as well, but um, yeah, I I, th- I thought this was great. I absolutely love the police station, particularly. I th- I, th- I think it, it like the later game stuff. I'm a little less interested in 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 um, in remake, but I think the police station's fantastic. Um, I think the actual I love the shooting of the zombie limbs. I know it's not a particularly sophisticated take, um, but. The fact that you can shoot their arms and legs off and sort of pacify them rather than kill them is like a really fun wrinkle in the kind of survival horror kind of playbook. Um, and obviously, like, the the stuff with Mr. X, I think, is, is like, fantastically well done. Like, a really great uh, update and taking kind of, like, you know, the core of the idea from the original game and then just turning it into something, like, way more substantial and interesting um like almost that the first half of resident evil 2 is like good enough that it doesn't really matter that i don't like the second half quite as much um what's what's your sort of take on it i would agree with that i think that everyone remembers the police station when they think of resident evil 2 and um it's definitely the strongest part here um there's some good bits in the sewers and the labs later on but um yeah these are the the heights definitely come early um Mm. but um i also think that like Resident Evil 2, the way it sort of um, it changes the uh, second playthrough is a different character. So, like, the first one is kind of like your yeah, Resident Evil 2 basic playthrough. Then the second one, um, for me, who is playing as Claire, is when Mr. X is chasing you basically the entire time. Um, mm. And, like, the idea that, like, you played both is to kind of complete the game was just really cool. Um, it would be a short game without that, uh, for sure. But, like, um, nah, it works perfectly. And I also think that... Um, I sort of agree with you. I like the limb shooting stuff. I think that they finally found a perfect middle ground between like that old school Resi and Resident Evil 4's style of combat. Definitely. Um, yeah, so that's why it's only a shame that the third one is um, apparently not very good. I've still not played it. I've got it on PS4. But, okay, um, the, the weird thing there is, you know, that's that's a game built around you being pursued for the whole thing, but the nemesis is no way near as interesting or sophisticated as Mr. X. Like, it never actually puts you in a you know for want of a better word sandbox environment with this creature like every chase sequence is is quite scripted um in a way that it doesn't it doesn't feel the same way in resident evil 2 um 
yeah, they really like messed him up. Like he's not scary at all. Like it's it's quite a it's quite flat. It's just quite short as well. Like, but that's you know maybe they don't have as much to work with. Um, but it, it it definitely didn't. It's it's definitely like a, a, a drop in quality after two. Yeah, I think Mikami considers the original three to be a lesser game anyway, based on that um, Archipel documentary mm. we talked about before. Um, so yeah, I um, I really love it, and uh, yeah, I hope that whatever they do next, whether it's Code Veronica, there's um, strong rumours about Resi Four remake. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of confident as long as they kind of give it give it the proper time. Don't try and bolt some NAF multiplayer thing onto it. I wish Capcom would stop doing that, but it doesn't look like they will. Yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah. Um, hit me with your. Uh, your number 12 <laughs> why am i so bad at this number 12 it's because i deleted one of the numbers on my um, on my uh <laughs> ipad because i'm an idiot so uh yeah number 12 matthew go uh, ahead. my number 12 is uncharted 4 higher on my list oh um yep then we will uh, talk about it. we will talk about it later um yep what is your number 12 or, or number 11 oh jesus <laughs> christ <laughs> we should never switch the order what a terrible decision oh fatal so um this is good though Matthew because number 11 is Persona 5 for me. So why oh. don't you um hit me with your thoughts on Persona 5 Royal? Yeah, I so I I only picked Persona 5 Royal because uh I only played like a certain chunk of Persona 5 originally. I didn't play it all the way through um because I knew Royal was coming. So for those that don't know um the way the well the way the recent Persona games have worked anyway is that they release a Persona game and then they they tend to update it a year or a couple of years later where they basically polish it up, tighten it up, add a few characters, add a bit of bonus content on the end, and it becomes like the definitive version. So for Persona Four, it was Persona Four Golden, which I played on the Vita and had a really great time with. Um, so I decided to hold out for Persona Five Royal, but like you can group them together. I think what I like about this game is. is fundamentally true to both versions um which is just it's uh it's like the most stylish video game ever made i mean it's just an absolutely ludicrously cool triumph of well it's got i was going to say style over substance but that's not fair because it's it's a pretty meaty rpg and there's, there's plenty going on under the hood but everything about this game from just you know the art design of the characters uh to the interface it's got this insane interface which is actually like not always the most practical thing but it just looks so cool like it's it's a i just imagine the group of people making this being just the the coolest gang of people in the world and that i get to hang out with these cool people for a little bit is just such a treat um because as an uber square myself uh, <laughs> you know persona always feels like the opportunity to i don't know just it's true escapist fantasy for me um because you know i you know my teenage years were nothing like this um so to explain the general setup you are you play a bunch of school teenager sort of school kids um who discover a kind of a sort of a, a sort of other realm where they go and take on kind of rpg battling to kind of uh, fix things in the real world and the game kind of juggles their kind of lives as heroes in this sort of fantasy realm with their social lives as teenagers doing teenage stuff and you have this sort of social sim element to it where you hang out and kind of build your social bonds which turn into benefits in the rpg kind of combat side of the game um it's just it's just so cool so trendy like if you're a Japanophile, just the idea of getting to hang out in like Tokyo and go to cool restaurants and and kind of like experience vicariously this sort of 
you know what it's like to live in a big sort of japanese urban center that's quite exciting um you know i loved persona 4 was one of my persona 4 golden was one of my games of the previous generation um i'm not saying this one's like outright better in every way but uh yeah it's just it's just so cool isn't it (laughs) yeah i think um i played a bit of uh quite a lot of persona 3 actually at the time when that came out on ps2 um and I remember that was when the series was starting to kind of blow up. Um, it became a huge hit in North America, I think, before it became a huge hit in Europe. Um, mm. I think Persona 5 just, like, is the most digestible version of that kind of game. Like, it's always had that mix of social sim and Japanese RPG. Um, it was a bit more of a dungeon crawler, I would say, in the orig- in the earlier iterations. Mm. Um, and I much prefer the balance here, because I think a lot of people are kind of playing this like they're watching a long anime. Yeah, um, definitely. And so I should say I've not finished this. So I felt a bit guilty putting it on my list, but I just thought I can't, I can't not have it on here. I've played it for seventy hours. It's just a really long game. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I love it too. Like, um, I think about this game. If it existed when I was sixteen, it would be my favorite game of all time. Um, <laughs> um, and my little brother, um, who is eleven years younger than me, he adores this game. And I think I had to convince him a little bit to play it. But then he just he's played um, the completed the original and he's completed the raw version so um i think yeah if you're just a certain age group this is just it just really hits really hits home um mm. and yet, like you say the fantasy of it is like having a cool group of friends like you are superheroes sort of but then i think just having a kind of nice group of friends you can go and hang out with um you know in in tokyo is like is itself a kind of a, a sort of fantasy that people have i think um mm. and the, i love that about it i am um, I also think that uh, when it comes to its sort of whole handling on adults, it really fucking hates adults. This game, and I, yeah. I really, li- I really like that. It basically says, "Don't trust teachers, don't trust politicians, don't trust law enforcement," and that's quite bold. Like, I mean, it's uh, it, the, the messaging of it can be like a little bit sort of up and down, but that feels to me like what the game is saying. Like, these are young people who have very like black and white versions of what morality should be and everything they do is based on that um but this game kind of celebrates that as a good thing like that none of the characters are kind of mired in the murky gray areas that all the adults are in this game did you get that vibe from it as well yeah definitely and it's kind of sort of like i recognize that it's kind of funny because like i am so you know i am so not that person in terms of like like as a teenager you know i i am i was so like follow the rule everything you know i'm i'm i was not a lawbreaker um it was you'll be surprised to hear no <laughs> yeah uh so maybe that's part yeah maybe that is also part of the appeal like it's like i don't know a, a, t- a taste of rebellion in my absolutely like rule following life um like you know i know we joked about this in a previous episode but like when I play this game, like, in truth, I am much closer to a villain in this game than I am a hero. <laughs> um, you know, I would be someone they had to fix, um, which is kind of depressing, but that's why it's such a good escapist fantasy, because you're like, yeah, i definitely do all this, and you're like, I definitely wouldn't. Like, the, I mean, just the school uniform infractions some of them pull off would, would have put me in a tizzy. Um <laughs> You know, I was the kind of kid who opted into extra school uniform by wearing the optional jumper. <laughs> um, amazing, yeah. So uh, you would have like dyed your hair blonde and uh, oh, wore whatever. oh, definitely not, definitely not. I would have, been, I would have been the prefect who definitely reported you for that shit. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I think I do. What, what I do like about this game, though, is it does sort of remind me of types of people I went to school with, particularly Ryuji. I feel like I knew a few boys like Ryuji. Right. Um, just very sort of like, I don't know, lose their temper at the sort of drop of a hat, but ultimately sort of good guys sort of thing. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, no, I love Persona 5. I think the only thing that sucks about it is it takes them so long to make them that it's going to be eight. I'm probably going to be 40 when the next one comes out, and I'll definitely feel too old to play it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You're definitely. Yeah. I mean, the next one will just be them straight up murdering 40 year olds. So. <laughs> And you'll feel very burnt by that, I think. <laughs> yeah, I look forward to that feeling. So rather than dwell on that further, Matthew, um, I'll move on to our next one, which is, is, is it me or is it you? It's you. It's your number 11. Uh, my number 11 is Red Dead Redemption 2. Not on my list. Oh. Go ahead. I know this is like, it's like a huge cliche to be like, oh, I like big, expensive rock star games. Um, but I do like big, expensive rock star games. For my money, this is just... What happens when you when you throw probably the most amount of money that's ever been thrown at a game, I'd imagine, um, at a world, is that you end up with just the most complete, coherent, virtual Wild West you could imagine. Um, I just love being in this place. It's it's you know it's a, a game I've I've you know replayed a couple of times, um, and it helps that I do love I love cowboy films. I'm a big fan of that period. Like I'm a I am a sucker for it. Um, but yeah, I will just, I'll happily spend all the time in the world trekking around this landscape. I love the forests. I love the wide open plains where I can just gallop my horse about. I like that it has a lot of boring landscape for want of a better word. Like it's not just all, you know, absolute thrills. That feels very realistic to me. I like that it isn't hugely populated, that there's only a couple of little clusters of towns. It just feels very, very realistic to me. I quite like the story. Um, you know, some people are quite snooty and snobby about Rockstar's writing, but I'll take their writing over most games' writing. Like the characters, I you know I remember them, which you mm. know I know what they're about, and there's a lot of characters here that I remember. So um, I think that's a, a sign of success. Um, I like that it's kind of weirdly verging on like almost an RPG. Like it feels like a game that almost wants to become an RPG because it's built such a complicated, vast world that it it needs a kind of almost like a complex genre to like nest in that world like it almost needs the scale or the depth of an rpg to actually fill the time and it's at its weakest where it doesn't have that depth so the fact that basically every gunfight in this game feels the same from the first gunfight to the last gunfight in the game like you're basically just necking chewing tobacco to bring up uh, bullet time shoot everyone in the head and you do that a thousand times and then the game finishes after like a hundred hours um but I like the kind of social interaction stuff. Um, you know, I like the fact that you kind of have a reputation in this world and people kind of react to you in that way. I, I like the fancy of sort of going into the shops and interacting with all the, um, like, individual items. It almost feels like kind of Wild West Shenmue at times. The fact that you can open cupboards and then eat everyone's peaches. Big fan of that. Um, it feels quite expansive, even though every time I play it, I I always do exactly the same thing. Like, I buy the same outfit. I, I'll save up enough money to buy a very specific outfit because it basically looks like a character I like in Deadwood. Um, and every time I've played it, I've played it in exactly the same... Like, you would be able to take screenshots and you wouldn't be able to tell that I was playing it at different times. Um, fantastic mud tech. <laughs> um it's just uh, just the triumph of tiny details in this game and just a scale and 
a cowboy fantasy that really speaks to me. Yeah, um, probably my number one surprise of this generation is that I didn't play this. Um, I was quite bummed out that uh, I bought a PS4 Pro with um, Red Dead 2, and I was quite bummed out you couldn't play it at 60 FPS on um, PS4 Pro. But mm. um, you can do that, on, do that on PC. But I feel like having played GTA 5 on PC, having it at like that higher frame rate does make a difference to how you enjoy that world. And I know that's like a wanky PC gamer thing to say, mm. um, but it, I don't know. If you just see the PC one next to the PS4 one, you're like, that is a world of difference. Oh, um, oh, for sure. And I, I played, So I played this through originally on Xbox One X, so it's nice resolution, but yeah, the 30 frame rate and everything. And then I've, I've replayed it since on PC, and yeah, it, it is, you know, it's beautiful on Xbox for sure, but it was on PC that I was, you know, I couldn't really believe it. I think it is the best-looking game of the generation, and I think it's mm. going to take quite a while for anyone to kind of beat that. But yeah, uh, yeah I don't know. It was, it's so boring to say, like, I like Rockstar games. Like, Nah, no, it's not. It's, you know, but, but hating on Rockstar games... I mean, it's been conflated with a lot of those crunch reports, but like people just dunk on Rockstar games incessantly, even though they're they're pretty great for the most part. Like, uh, I don't know, it's become fashionable to to kind of kick them, and I don't I don't entirely agree. Um, yeah, what do, why do you think people are kind of like a bit down on them these days? I mean, maybe it's that. Maybe like it's it's the like tales around it. I don't think that stuff actually impacts people as much as people would like to pretend it does. Though I think most mm. people hear that stuff and go, "Oh, that's terrible," and then just forget about it. Um, I don't know. I well, you know, if we're talking about general people, I don't think they do. Loads of people bought this game. Loads of people bought this game. I imagine mm. loads of people love this game. I just feel that like in particularly in like within games journalism, it's like perceived as a bit kind of boring or basic to to like rock star now like i don't know if they're just sort of people are like can you get well, yeah. bored of quality i don't know it's, it's, it, I, I i literally don't understand it um uh, you know when it comes when it comes to blockbuster games what is the high art that everyone's kind of worshipping they're all kind of like you know they're all different versions of this sort of game like uh, they are they are blockbusters made for big audiences um, yeah and it's i feel like People kind of hook on to certain things where you're like, oh, that's so needless. You know, the big joke with this was the kind of the horse testicles that shrink in the cold or whatever. And you're like, yeah, ha, 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 you know, a waste of someone's time or, you know, a feature. I don't think I ever noticed it in all my times playing this game. But at the same time, like, there's magic when a game does something completely logical that you you've never seen a game do or it behaves in a realistic way so like when you get kicked into the mud and exactly the bit of you that fell in the mud is what's muddy so like half (laughs) of your outfit is muddy when i stand up i'm like oh wow the bit of me that went in the mud is muddy um that is impressive and that's the same level of detail there and this is a game where like hundreds of times things happen where i thought oh wow i can't believe they did that that's amazing and so for everyone who's like, <laughs> horse testicles, you're like, yeah, but, you know, they, they've literally just checked every box so that everything happens. You know, if someone noticed that, that would have blown their minds. Um, there is a lot of mind-blowing stuff in this game, and I, I you know, I, I don't think they should be embarrassed about throwing a vast amount of money at something to make something this complex and beautiful. Like, I'm glad that someone is doing that. Yeah, I mean, like I'm, you know, the I'm definitely sensitive to the crunch discussion. I remember, you know, I, I read the Kotaku piece. I think there was a Eurogamer piece at the time, and they were both like very well researched. There's like uh, at least a couple of people I follow from Rockstar on Twitter who did disagreed with that 
the kind of testimony about the working conditions there. So like, I don't know. I don't want to. I guess I just don't want to get too in the weeds on that when talking about no, the game no, itself. No, no. Listen, because... I'm not. I'm not dismissing that at all. Like, I'm not saying. No, that's, of course. That, no. I'm not saying that's 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 you know, you know, 100. I'm not saying I don't believe it or I don't care about it. I'm just saying no, no. that what they have achieved is amazing, and you know, divorced of everything else, I, I find it kind of. I just, I you know, I do find it staggering. However, it came to be. Um, it, yeah, it is, it is an amazing thing. I agree with you that um, when I kind of played, I've played about 10 hours of this, and I did find the, uh, the start very slow. The main reason I've not endured with it was because it's so long, and I'm just waiting, I guess, for the right window to play it. Plus, I was waiting for it on PC, and I've, I've got it on PC, and I will play it at some point. But um, I do remember, like, there seemed to be so many layers to the different areas in the game. So the different sort of, like, in-world uh, sort of randomly generated scenarios you come across, like some guys digging something or planting a bomb or, you know, just NPCs you'd come across doing their own thing or going into a town and seeing um, there's like a secret room behind a shop where stuff's going on and mm. so, like, uh, just amazing handcrafted stuff, um, yeah, and like you say. It's it's the, like, the gulf between this and cyberpunk. Like, I think what a lot of people are reacting to in cyberpunk is the fact that the world has no, it has none of that life in it. It's just people milling about everywhere, and mm. the, the the gap in in scale and ambition is is vast, you know. And and I'm not saying everyone has to meet these standards, but um, it, it, it's just very telling. Like I played, like I played Cyberpunk. The first thing I wanted to do was replay Red Dead, so I started replaying it before Christmas. And you know, you you can watch a guy like building a house, and he's like legitimately putting up like planks and carrying hammers and nails and stuff. And you're like, that's mad. I mean, it's mad that they did that, but that's the difference between being wowed by something like that and wondering why, you know, there's just a man literally walking up a pavement, turning around and walking back down in cyberpunk or whatever. Mm, yeah. No, I've still got a lot of time for Rockstar's games, and, like, um, I uh, I agree with you. That kind of world detail is something they're still the best at. Um, <clears throat> now, if it, in its next uh, version of uh, GTA Online, if they can get bastards to stop calling me all the time in that game, that would be great. Um <laughs> But no, I, Red Dead, I actually didn't realise that you love Red Dead 2 this much, but um, that makes me want to play it more, the fact that you have replayed this uh, enormous yeah, game. Yeah, I, um, I really like Cowboys. Like, I, you know, I, Red Dead Redemption 1 was probably my favourite of, of the, the Rockstar games previously. So mm. um, I just, I don't know. I, I never really get on as much. I don't, I don't really care as much about driving, I think, in modern day GTA. So um, for me, you know riding around not that i care about horse riding either but i don't know and there's no mobile phones for people to call you up in western times <laughs> it's not like every time you go to the post office there's like 20 letters from some bloke who wants to play dominoes you know <laughs> yeah in gta online it's like hey you when are you gonna pick up this car for me and it's like hey get your ass to this office now man i like that happens like every five minutes in gta online um so yeah maybe uh, red dead would be a relief um so matthew my number 10 uh, we got the numbers right this time, yeah? That was your 11. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good. Um, Destiny 2. So this kind of sums up the whole Destiny experience, which it feels like Destiny was the first proper phenomenon in this generation. Um, came out in late 2014. Um, people were so up for it, even though I think it was bad when it first came out. Um, people were so like, oh, well, Destiny's my game now. Like, Destiny's the game I play. And I didn't really get it because uh, it had a bad campaign, 
and then its end game stuff just seemed to be repeating the same stuff you'd done in the campaign over and over again. And I thought, well, why is this good? Um, and it had a bad multiplayer um, component. Well, not bad, just um, just uh, not up to the standard of other multiplayer mm. games. Um, so I, I bounced off of it, but then um, the Taken King expansion came out in 2015. Added a really good campaign. Added uh, loads of Nathan Fillion, um, which improves anything, I find. Um <laughs> And um, yeah, just uh, and gave my character lots of fire hammers to throw at people, which nice. I liked. Um, and yeah, it was a much stronger sort of like bungee campaign. Um, and people were really into the raids in Destiny One. I only ever did two of the raids in Destiny One. Um, I'm looking forward to doing Vault of Glass when they add it to Destiny Two later this year. Um, and uh, Destiny Two, I got much more into. Um, we've talked about it. It's mostly motivated by the pandemic. Got to do something. Got to throw some hours into a hole to uh, make the pain go away <laughs> i'll be melodramatic there but you Good. get the idea yeah <laughs> um so yeah it's um it's a social space game at its core and i think that the reason it succeeded so well um so much early on is that the um, ps4 has really good like party features it's really simple to just jump into a multiplayer game with people and i think that this just sort of like solidified what sony had got right about the ps4 in those early days but yeah, I um, Destiny Two is just a, a, a more complete feeling game. Bit sad about some of the stuff they took out last year, but I get why they did it. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's good. Any thoughts on Destiny, Matthew? Do you ever really get much into it? I no, I've I've played the campaign of Destiny One and the campaign of Destiny Two, but I I never really got into the end gamey thing. Um, I just I, I can't really have a, any. I can't commit to any one game like that in this particular job. I've found like I'm just was always too busy having to play something else and I just couldn't get on top of it. I've never really, like, you know, I've been wowed by my peers who've been able to play this for, like, thousands of hours um, because I think, man, for thousands of hours, you could literally have played every other game and be, like, the most knowledgeable games critic around. Um, So, yeah, I was always put off this one. I like the feel of it, good headshots and everything, but... Not, not yeah. quite my cup of tea with like the lore of it and all that kind of jazz. To, you know, Nathan Fillion aside, it's not really for me. Oh, I don't know what's going on in it. Um, I know <laughs> nothing about the story of Destiny. I couldn't tell you a single thing about it. Um, and um, uh, people who I play it with get very excited about lore eggs in the game that they find um, <laughs> that tell them bits and pieces about it. I understand like almost none of it. It is just a game where I point at things and they explode like um, Kinder Egg style enemies and have loot in them. And that makes me feel good inside briefly. Nice. And then I do it again. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I feel like I talked about Destiny 2 enough, though, on our Game of the Year podcast. So let's move on to your number 10, Matthew. My number 10 is Hitman 2. Higher on my list. Oh, mm. fly um, through. I'm, I'm surprised it's so low on yours. But, uh, well, low is not well, uh, really correct. I... Yeah, I'm looking at it now. I'm thinking, was that right? <laughs> we've like um, we've attached ourselves to Hitman in a way where we kind of have to justify it. I think so. Um, I'm actually very disappointed to hear you put it so low, Matthew. Oh, um, gee, yeah, especially when you find out what I've put higher. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so my number nine is Marvel Spider-Man on your list. It isn't okay. Um, why don't you tell me what you make of it though? Because I just rambled about Destiny for a while, uh, so we can I, switch I, voices. I really enjoyed Marvel Spider-Man. It took me a while to get into it. Um, but uh, when I first got it, I played like a couple of hours and went, oh yeah, this seems nice, and then didn't play it. And then actually playing through it properly um, when I had a bit of time last year, um, which is code word for when I was made redundant, um, <laughs> I um, 
had uh, like I really enjoyed the story. I really enjoyed like how many villains were packed into it. Like it felt like the closest thing to the kind of Batman Arkham games in terms of like density of like comic book stuff. And it really felt like it had been made by people who are super into the comic books and i you know i i love hitting all the big signature moments um i really like the combat i actually find the swinging while obviously like visually impressive and delightful incredibly boring which is which is my big problem with spider-man like for me this feels like how i felt about spider-man 2 back on gamecube which is Mm -hmm. everyone's like swinging around so good and you're like yeah for like an hour and then every time you have to swing up and down the city, it's such a pain. And I read so much stuff where people said, and I hope this isn't what you're about to say, and apologies if it is, where like, hey, it didn't matter if I, you know, I never used fast travel because it was such an amazing delight to swing through that city. But I just find it like mechanically not very interesting. Like I just don't, I don't really get it. Um, so traversing that place, I found quite boring, but I loved the villain stuff and the combat stuff. And it's a really... He's a great Spider-Man. Like he's a really fun version of Spider-Man, like where he is in his life. Um, so I hope that hasn't poo-pooed what you're about to say. No, not at all. For I you. agree with you about. <laughs> I agree with you about the place in his life thing. Like um, when it starts, I think um, you, you for your first uh, villain you fight is Kingpin, and he says something like, "We've been doing this for like eight years, uh, mm. Fisk," and you're like, "Oh, okay." He's in his mid twenties, and he's like, you know, getting on with life, and so. He arrives with all this history. Um, not every villain in that universe exists yet, but most of them do. And he's like, oh, yeah, I've dealt with this guy a million times, so whatever. Um, and I really like that because that's what reading a Spider-Man comic is like in 2021. He's he's already done everything. Um, I really like the swinging, though. This is the only PS4 kind of open-world narrative-y exclusive that I um, I put in here. Um, I, I know that like um, people really adore God of War, uh, and Horizon. Um, those have not made my list. Uh, this, I feel like, is set apart by the swinging. Um, I don't... Uh, I always do use the fast travel f- uh, f- function because I'm in my 30s. So anyone who says it's like, oh, no, you always want to swing across the city, I don't really agree. When you get to the latter stages of the game, you just want to get, want to get on with it. Also, when you get towards the end of Spider-Man, people are just shooting at you on rooftops, oh, and it's really annoying. The, the city's too hostile in the final third of that game. Hmm. Yeah, once you've finished it, though, and it's cleared out again, it is nice to just kind of uh, mop up uh, side content. And I thought the side content in this game was very good. I really liked finding the little backpacks that had different bits of Spider-Man lore in there. You were like, oh, he's got a real kind of history, and mm. the people really give a damn. Um, it's because they got um, uh, a couple of um, real, like, <laughs> real uh, Spider-Man like comic book writers to um, weigh in on the story, which mm. is cool. Uh, and it really shows. And, yeah, I think that... Um, yeah, it's just just cool. cool, like a cool, nice superhero game. I put it above Arkham Knight because I I enjoy this with almost no caveats. I think that Arkham Knight has better combat. The combat's a little bit messy in this, but I really like the different um, the kind of abilities you get. There's no way this game would exist without Arkham, the Arkham series. It definitely kind of like feels like a midpoint between those and Spider Man Two. And that's what Insomniac was going for. Mm. Uh, but no, good on them. Like for years, everyone wanted a good Spider-Man game. Activision wouldn't give it to them, so Sony did. And uh, respect. Um, yeah, Insomniac did a great job. And uh, my guess is, Matthew, that the next one will be built around co-op between um, Peter and Miles Morales. I think that'll be a that'll be the premise of the Ooh, next one. That's my guess. 
yeah, I just think that's a way to differentiate it. So, you know, you can have them um, have them swinging around New York doing fun stuff. I like, um, I like one of them's like, I'm going to swing, and the other one's like, I'm fast traveling, so I guess I'll see you in like five minutes. <laughs> and they just have to sit there by the mission marker, going, Oh God, why couldn't you fast travel, you you sod? <laughs> Uh, everyone likes to fast travel anyway because you get those cool little sequences on the um, on the underground. Oh, there's so um, many people. The, the worst thing in that game is when you're swinging along and you realise you have to get across Central Park. Death. <laughs> Pure yeah. death. Because all of a sudden you're just having to zip from tree to tree and it absolutely blows. That oh. was the best part of that Spider-Man Homecoming film when he realises he's in like a flat part of New York. And he's yeah. like, oh, fuck, I, I just have to jog now for ages. Yeah. Spider-Man uh, should petition New York to build like a massive spike in the middle of Central Park that he can swing off. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 really, I never really got bored of the swinging, though. I, I, I'll make that very clear. I also think there was a nice... I felt a real Sam Raimi movie influence on this game in terms of how it looked. Like, There's a lot of like nice sunsets and... I don't know. It felt like I would guess that most of the um, uh, generation of people making this game, at, um, Insomniac, grew up with Spider-Man Two. Yeah. Or, uh, so yeah, I, I got that vibe from it too. And then they added all the cool costumes as well. So mm. good game, Matthew. Good game. Um, yeah. What's your number nine? Uh, my number nine is Yakuza Zero. Yeah, uh, Yakuza Zero. So we talked a bit about the series before, mostly uh, the Like a Dragon game, but this is the one everyone says like the best starting point for Yakuza for most people. Um, yeah. Is that right. I- that's that's I mean, partly because it's a prequel, so it's set in 1988, and it's like a good introduction to the characters. I mean, I think you can. I think most of the games do a pretty good job of explaining themselves. So you could hop in. I kind of pick this because I just feel like Yakuza was a really great like series of the generation. That team put out a huge amount of games. Like they make them pretty fast. You know, every couple of years you get one, and they're all of a decent standard. I th- I think this one. Like stands out a bit more just because it's it's so much it's just pure fun. Like the the fact that it's a prequel, you'd think that they could you know, it can go one of two ways. You can get kind of a bit angsty because the characters are younger, or you can just say like, oh, it's a big bit of like silly fan service. So you know the eighties fashion and the eighties settings quite good fun. If you if you know the map, so you, Yakuza famously reuses. Um, a couple of areas quite a lot uh, this sort of map called Camarocho which is you kind of explore in several of the games and seeing it slightly reskinned for the 80s so it's a bit like dirtier it's a bit like scuzzier it's not as like gleaming as it is in some of its modern iterations is quite fun um, and you know there's just a great sense of humor to this game there is in all yakuza games but i think here particularly like the side stories and the side quests which is you know probably make up about half the game um are just so daft you know it, it, it it's a series that gets away with like it's got so much good writing in it and it and it, it rejects so much of like modern gaming practices like it's not all voice acted you know, there's not loads of incredibly complex motion capture. You know, a lot of the characters you meet are stuck in these, like, preposterous animation loops. It feels quite arcadey, not cheap, but, you know, it's a decision they've made to kind of go with that. It's it's not going for, like, ultra-realism. And that combined with this really funny writing where they managed to turn the most boring quest structures, which, you know, go to the place A and punch person B or, or collect five of this. But just by dressing it up with some really weird framing device, I think they actually get away with a huge amount. And it's it's just, it's pure pleasure, this game. Like, it's it's so fun. It's so silly. The actual main story is pretty great. It's this big kind of, like, um, 
sort of real estate conspiracy, but it is with quite melodramatic characters and villains, which make it make it good fun. Um, this one uh, famously alternates between two characters in two cities. So you've got Kazma Kiryu in Kamurocho, and you've got Goro Majima in Sotenbori. Yes, I did write those down in case I forgot them and revealed <laughs> myself as a big Yakuza noob. Um, and, you know, they both have quite different fighting styles, different lives, different attitudes. So the constant switching between them is quite fun. Um, it's got these two massive mini games, which could be standalone games. One about managing a hostess club, the other one about buying up real estate in Camarocho and sort of beating up other estate agents, um, which I really loved. It's just a massive, positive, fun thing. Not particularly complex, not particularly deep, but just just joyful. I love it. Yeah, I think it's really cool for Yakuza fans that they had been saying for years and the kind of like PS3 days that this series is amazing and that it took this generation for it to achieve some level of like greater success. Like I wouldn't say mainstream success, but like certainly, you know, um, more sort of persistent, wider success. And uh, yeah, I've, um, I've played about 10 hours of this. I am... Um, I do really like it. I feel like if I could take a year's sabbatical, I might get through all the Yakuza games. Um, they just they just added all of them to Game Pass, which I'm quite tempted by because I there's there's there, I've only played three or four of them, I think. So you know, I I, I do fancy going back and getting through a lot of it. Mm, that'll probably be quite good for the um, the sort of like growth of its audience as well. That um, I bet it's leading to a, a heightened interest in the series. So uh, yeah, yeah good just- value really. What I think's funny about this is when they first bought Yakuza over, like, they're, like they didn't westernise it because you can only westernise it a certain amount, but, like, the amount of focus that went into, like, this big western voice cast. Because mm. um, remember, it had Lex Luthor from Smallville yeah. in it and other people of that kind of ilk, and that, that felt like the big push when it back on PS2, where now, like, I think there's such a, like, western sort of Japanophile appetite that, you know, it really leans into that stuff, and it doesn't. You know, now actually, the reason to release it is just because people are like mad for the setting. You know, in a similar way to like Persona, I guess. And you know, mm. they are beautifully localized as well. I mean, the 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 chap who lo- I kind of I can't remember his name. He sort of heads the localization team. Like, they're so funny the the way they kind of you know translate some quite sort of region specific stuff for everyone else. I think it's it's brilliantly done. I've got a great story about um, Toshihiro Nagoshi that I'll tell on a later podcast, actually. Um, the one time I've met him. Um, yeah, that's a good story. I'll tell that sometime. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I uh, I did think that the original Yakuza on PS2 wasn't great. I think that the um, later HD ones really improved the experience of walking around Kamurocho. Um, yeah. So I think there is a difference in quality between them. Um, but yeah, this whole kind of like um, HD age of them, I like that you can just play them all now. There are so many of them to get through. And again, like I, I think Persona is an apt example because I think people do treat this a bit like an anime as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, in ter- certainly in terms of how it's discussed on social media. So uh, yeah, good choice, Matthew. I'm glad you put that in there actually because um, yeah, it can retain uh, cred um, with that audience. Um, yeah, well, yeah, support. I, yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, good. Um, so my number eight, Matthew, is near Automata. Oh, this didn't make On my list. list. Yeah. So did you? How, where did you get to with this one? Uh, I I did a playthrough and a half, and that second playthrough was too much like the first playthrough. And so yeah. I just couldn't be bothered. 
there's no doubt there's a lot of repetition in this game. You will go to the same three or four areas, the sort of um, fairgroundy sounding area, the kind of castle in that forest, and then yeah. like the sort of like grey skyscrapers. You'll go there to those places over and over again in Nier Automata. Um, you are in this game uh, like an android who is sent to Earth to essentially clear the Earth for humanity to eventually return. It's uh, loads of robots running amok on there. Um, I believe that's linked to the original um, Nier's story, um, which they're re-releasing uh, the original Nier this year as Nier Replicant with a big number at the end. I don't remember what that's called, but um, yeah. Nier Automata, I didn't think I'd love this game. Um, we talked about this before. I didn't really get into the first Nier, so... I was really surprised by how much I love this. Um, mm. Helps so much, like the the real sugaring of the pill, as we also discussed, was that Platinum made the combat for this game. Well, they made this game, mm. um, and so that improves like the feel of it generally. That's not to say it's like as good a combat game as Bayonetta. I don't think it is, um, no, but no. Um, I don't think it's trying to be either. And yeah, it's a really mournful, great sci-fi game. There's some really like lovely bits of storytelling in this, and. Um, lots of sad moments and um, it's just it's very insightful and it's it's a lot deeper than you think it's going to be on that first playthrough mm. um, has a lot going on thematically and some quite uh, just some really depressing twists but um, yeah a really memorable game really fantastic soundtrack I, I really loved roaming around this world I went from not really getting it to just adoring it and um, while I agree with you that it takes quite a lot of stamina to get through each of those different playthroughs um, I think the complete story it tells is worth it and uh, yeah, anything else to add, Matthew? No, I will finish it one day. I, I, I it's a, a, a big black mark against my my cool game journal cred for not having <laughs> properly played this. Yeah, which is very important to your identity. Yes. Um, so, uh, what's your number eight? Uh, my number eight is Ori and the Blind Forest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big two D platformer guy, Matt Castle, apparently. Yeah, well, this is so I love Metroidvanias, and this generation was really, really good for Metroidvanias, um, which are, of course, 2D exploration platforming games. Tend to have, you find cool powers, you get to backtrack. I'm sure everyone who listens to this knows what a Metroidvania is, but whatever, just just in case. Um, There were loads of great games in this genre this generation. Uh, Hollow Knight, Bloodstained, Blasphemous, which I really loved. Um, SteamWorld Dig 2, also great. Many other indie variations uh ori in the blind forest is my favorite um a because it looks like a big living moving cartoon just one of the most beautifully animated games ever um it's kind of like it's almost like the opposite of inside in that it's like just life everywhere life and movement and lush greenery and water and it's a really like sort of natural beautiful world it's quite it's quite weird that this game is so sort of beautiful in the eye and like i genuinely think this would appeal to most people visually because it's so it's so beautiful but then it's actually like surprisingly rock hard um not as hard nowhere near as hard as like hollow knight but it is it's 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 not a pushover by any means um i think it's got really fun creative powers it did the rarest of things, which introduced a power which I ha- simply hadn't seen in a 2D platformer before. And maybe this has been done and I'm just ignorant and haven't seen it before, but uh, Ori's got this power where uh, they can, they, he, she, I don't really know what it is, uh, it can launch off any projectile in the world. Um, 
so it can sort of jump, double jump, and then sort of if someone launches a fireball at it, it can sort of fight, sort of catapult itself off that. And they they get amazing mileage out of this very satisfying power where you're basically chaining between sort of projectiles to kind of fly around otherwise deadly mazes. Um, It's got some really finger-twisting platforming and it really, like, difficult stuff, but but brilliantly done. I loved searching for backtracking, searching for clues in this world. Um, it's the reason I've gone for Blind Forest over Will of the Wisps, a sequel, which is like probably even more beautiful and more ambitious in terms of scale. But I actually found it became a bit more linear. It almost felt a bit more like a Zelda game with like an, a hub world and then individual dungeons rather than a big kind of big loop of kind of metroid platforming. Um, uh it's also got uh, Blind Forest has got this really interesting save system where you basically sacrifice your sort of energy, which is used for firing projectiles in combat, but you have to sacrifice some of that energy to like make a save point, like manual save points. So you have to save anywhere, and and that's where I think some of the difficulty comes from for a lot of people because they just forget to do it, and then they die, and then they they're sent back like miles. But I really like the this sort of risk reward of like do I put a save point in the middle of this nightmarish platforming section, like, just to save myself? Or, you know, should I just take another run at it and try and get here with more health? And uh, it was an interesting concern. Beautiful soundtrack, too. Just, again, uh, like, similar to the Nintendo games, actually, on O&M, on official Xbox, I finally felt like this is, like, an enviable first-party exclusive. Like, this was the only game I think we reviewed on official Xbox where people from like playstation magazines were watching it on the tv and going like oh wow that looks amazing where most people you know and 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 that shouldn't factor into it but that's quite a nice feeling of like yeah we're writing about the cool thing for once um yeah so that that i don't know that carries like a weird amount of weight (laughs) no i get it it's uh that's fair enough i i I played like um maybe like a couple of hours of it and um i did like it and did think it looked beautiful um and I, I remember when um, they showed, I was at the E3 conference where they revealed um, the newer one and people did go like crazy for it. There was a huge, a huge audience for it. And I don't think I, I think it just quietly accumulated a big crowd without me realizing it. Um, probably yeah. a good way to get a game to play on Switch as well. Yeah, yeah, they did They did some really nice Switch ports. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's just quite, yeah, like you said, it's quietly picking up fans in the background. I mean, it's, it's, it's just so well it's so well made and i know that like the big metroidvania story of this generation was hollow knight um mm. but that just game just never ever really clicked with me you know i i've I'll, I'll always champion this over it i think it's a more much more interesting platformer um the combat's not very good in ori but you know whatever <laughs> yeah i don't really have um, much close ties with uh, metroidvanias but like um i now own about 12 of them so um oh, i, I probably, like it um... yeah i'm a big, big fan just find it a very just very very compelling i like the completionist of me i like ticking off maps and filling in maps and things it's just i don't know speaks to me yeah like you say it really is though one of the quiet generational stories um was just the re- the sort of revival of that genre in the indie space like um mm. it feels like 2d platformers trad 2d platformers sort of faded away fairly fast in the kind of indie movement but this is the genre that's stuck um mm. yeah good good stuff um, so, Matthew, my number seven is Alien Isolation. Uh, on your list? No, no, <laughs> oh, it's it wasn't. Not like, it, right? I think last week I, t- yeah, this was my game. I'm, I'm sort of ashamed I didn't play more of because I was just too scared of it. 
Yeah, so made by Creative Assembly. Um, it was released about a year after Aliens Colonial Marines, which was a notorious sort of disaster of a first-person shooter by Gearbox. <laughs> bad on so, in so many ways. And um, yeah, I kind of I feel bad for CA that they couldn't go first with this because I think it would have made a big difference to its perception. Um, there are a couple of reviews that I think did some damage to Alien Isolation that I don't think really got the game. Um, mm. Not not to point fingers, but like. You know, sometimes people click with these games, sometimes they don't. These things are subjective, you know, and Alien Isolation takes some big risks. It's a it's a game where you're pursued by this, um, you know, incredibly clever sort of AI monster um, through these big sort of like space environments. And yeah, it's the way it behaves means that you can't always predict exactly what it's going to do. Um, in some places, there's clearly a guided hand at work, um, so you can kind of progress, but at other times it can just feel like the thing is just sort of psychic and finds where you are so i get why people can be annoyed with it nonetheless as a an atmospheric piece um as a world to explore um in terms of how long this game is it's like weirdly long for what it is Um, but i think they make it work because they do every conceivable thing you could do with this creature to make it interesting they do Mm. Um, in terms of putting you in wide open spaces in kind of tight corridors in different like parts of this massive spaceship um yeah so i really love it i think um yeah it's the best horror game of the generation pt was a bit splashier probably um mm. but um yeah i just think if you love if you love the original alien movie how can you not love this it's just I, a- it, I, that, it, I mean, to my mind it's probably like you know the most success in terms of like licensed games probably the most successful recreation of like the vibe of a film yeah it really is like um just the way it sort of the it, way it looks and sounds the kind of like um very sort of um uh, tactile uh world that you're in like when you save you use a punch card and like pull down a lever and stuff like that it's not a high-tech world it's built with all the restrictions of um you know, Alien, as it was made in 1979. Mm. Um, and that's uh, that has a huge um, positive effect on the game. Um, yeah, just a real kind of love for that source material. Uh, like I say, I can't believe it. This is so long, this game. It's like over 20 hours long. Um, <laughs> and that's like, I, I was convinced before it came out that it was going to be like six hours long because you think, well, how many things can you do with this Alien? And I went to um, a GDC preview event for it in 2014 and there was um, the guy who programmed it was there and showed us like, a sort of tree of its behaviors like oh and if it if it detects this then it can do one of these three things if it does this it can do this and it had like a explained how it worked and it it really is like a an amazing thing to behold like sometimes it's like an ally sometimes you can use it you can attract it to take out enemies for you hmm. um sometimes it's such a pain in the ass you're kind of it's a puzzle to figure out oh, how exactly am i going to get past this because he always appears out of this vent when i walk over here um brilliant just absolutely brilliant and um not the only great thing about this game either the working joe enemies in this game the androids who attack you Mm. and have like posh british voices they're basically like nasty c-3po's um (laughs) like um they're amazing too um there's a, a particularly memorable moment in this game where you're in a showroom full of them they're all stood there static and you know at some point they're all going to attack you at once but you don't know when um and you're waiting for that moment that's probably my favorite bit of this game um yeah, well done, CA. This is just uh, just phenomenal. Um, I don't know what they would have done for a sequel if they got to make one, but I would still like would have liked to see what they could do. Any more thoughts on it? Uh, no, just that I hope I can one day play through it and um, not shit my pants. <laughs> well, we're all hoping for that moment. Um, <laughs> cool. What's your uh, what's your number seven then, Matthew? Uh, my number seven is Forza Horizon Four. 
I was wondering uh, where this would appear on your list. Yeah, um, I'm not a racing uh, game guy at all. Like, I, I'm I'm really not into driving. Um, I have a very bad history with cars. Um, failed my driving test an obscene number of times before passing, and basically haven't driven since. Um, and I find I, I'm not interested in cars at all. Like the you know different makes the models you know i'm not when a sports car goes by i'm not like ooh sexy i just just don't give a shit um but what i love about the forza horizon series and again it's a bit like the yakuza thing i think this is just a, a really great success story this generation is um i think they bust open the the racing game in a way that like anyone can enjoy i think it's a really scalable experience from like absolute kind of arcade immediacy to like slightly more you know nuanced sort of like sim related stuff it never goes as full on as say forza motorsport which is obviously the sim version um but it's you know it, it feels like it scales difficulty wise like there's all kinds of assists which are just brilliantly implemented you know the whole kind of racing line is 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 really great and enables idiots like me to play um i love the fact that it's racing in an open world so like the the big thing i don't like about racing games is that they're traditionally stuck to racetracks which are visually the most boring things in the world because they're just stretches of tarmac with barriers at the side um and I know some interesting stuff can happen behind those barriers, but just driving around tarmac, you know, no thank you. Um, where here it's like, you know, in this one, because it's set in Britain, you're like bouncing across fields and driving off huge ramps on hills or you're tearing around Edinburgh or you know, driving through this sort of like, you know, muddy kind of rallying in the Cotswolds. And it just, it feels like a really, it feels quite like dumb in a good way in that it's just like, you know, imagine a country was given over to just, like, motorheads to kind of tear up. Um, it's a really fun fantasy, and, you know, it, it's a game that's constantly throwing prizes at you and new cars and shinier trinkets. It really rewards you. It just feels very fun. You know, the, it's it, it's sort of built around this idea of this Forza Horizon Festival, which is like this big musical, big sort of music festival, a bit like sort of Glastonbury that it sits somewhere on the map and you know everyone's there and you're having a good time and you drive up and everyone's you know excited to see you in your shiny car and all this but it, it has got this big fun like party at, uh, atmosphere to it um yeah it just i don't know it's like everything that's fun about cars which is they go fast and that's basically it um <laughs> <laughs> combined with just a really exciting world none of the tedious stuff if you don't want to engage with it it's there if you do um you know i was humming and ahhing about three versus four because three set in australia and it is like absolutely beautiful and it it, it felt like that's when i one and two are great but three felt like a big step up where it really kind of like just slotted together really well but i i just like the I like the cross-country stuff in 4 a lot in, in the UK. There's some great stuff in Scotland where you're, like, you race this huge, like, hovercraft in this, like, sort of showstopper event. And um, you race this big hovercraft across, you know, the sort of, sort of the, 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 the mountains or valleys around Edinburgh. And when you see that environment, you are, like... Oh yeah, this is the right team to make Fable because it just looks amazing. It looks like a big fantasy. It looks like you're driving a car through Lord of the Rings, you know. Um, 
yeah, I love I love this game. I love this studio. I think they're fantastic. I cannot wait for whatever they do with Forza Horizon Five. Um, you know, I'm really intrigued to see what location they go to next. Just just a, a really great thing. Yeah, I um, it feels like this is the only racing game of this generation that became a sort of crossover hit in a kind of mainstream way. Um, would you say that's true? Yeah, d- yeah, definitely. On it's yeah, I, like I say, I just think it, it it speaks to everyone. It's it's not dry and boring. I think other games are are so bogged down with like specifics, which while impressive on a tech level, you know, f- I think both Forza Motorsport and Gran Turismo, you know, they're so kind of obsessed with this idea of like realism and accuracy and there's enough of that in horizon you know it's not like it's like completely preposterous but i i just find i don't find those i don't find sims at all fun to interact with um but this is i just think this this will speak to you regardless of what you think about the genre and and to bust the genre open like that that's pretty impressive i mean you know that's kind of the dream with a lot you know there's there's plenty of genres which still feel closed off to me but this is this is the this is the series that opened racing up so yeah historically like the only kind of racing games i've ever really enjoyed were like the burnout series um like motorstorm um on ps3 and then like um the uh, need for speed games made by um criterion like uh, yeah most wanted and yeah, it just maybe, feels like it kind of fits that lineage a bit you know yeah maybe this this scratches some of some of that itch i mean it's not quite as wild and arcade silly as as like burnout or whatever but it is you know it's closer to that you know you can drive through like walls and the walls explode and you don't slow down things like that so hmm. okay yeah great stuff uh great choice um so my number six matthew is metal gear solid five the phantom pain that's higher on mine. Nice. Um, in which case, what's your number six? My number six is God of War. Ah, wow. That is a lot higher than I was expecting. Um, how come this appealed to you? Do you just like the way that Kratos shouts boy? Uh, um, yeah, I do like that. I, I, this was just, this was like the, the first party Sony game that really clicked for me. Um, hmm. A lot of them I had, a lot of them it felt like I had loads of people telling me that every game that came out was a 10 out of 10. Um, and a lot of them weren't for me. But this one... Um, hilarious this is one I thought was going to be the biggest bust when they first announced it because I thought oh they're taking you know this quite silly series which I didn't you know I quite liked in the past I'm not a big God of War fan but hmm. you know they're taking this quite silly thing and they're they're basically naughty dogging it up which is to you know take something and then like remove all the fun from it and make it kind of like quite serious and about sad dads um, <laughs> I thought they were basically you know like they had, they had this form. It felt like Sony had this formula, which is like slightly dour heroes, um, and this looked like that. But uh, I thought that initial demo was terrible. Like when they first announced this, I thought, "Oh God, how's that possibly going to work in third person?" But for me, it's actually like the over the shoulder camera thing. Um, but for me, it felt like just the best, um, like one of the best genre shifts since like Resident Evil Four. Where taking something and completely just sort of putting it on its head and changing the vibe and feel of it just really, really worked. Particularly for like the very cinematic tale they were going to tell, you know, it really put you in the action. I thought it allowed, um, you know, I love the the ludicrous scale of God of War and actually being there over Kratos' shoulder and just looking up at, at, at some of the absurd things that happen in this game. I, I thought that played to its strengths really, really well. Um, I love the chunky, meaty combat with, you know, chucking that axe around. Very, very satisfying. Um, I think the first boss fight against 
oh, I can't even remember his name now. I want to say Balder, the kind of bad, he's sort of unknown to you, the sort of baddie, the big baddie in the game. You fight several times, but you fight him around your house, and I still think it's the most incredible interactive cinematic fight. He, like, punches you through a mountain and stuff. It just looks amazing. Um, yeah, visually, I was just so, so wowed by this and, and like, what they did with the, you know, perspective of it. I think it's a game where they it feels like they made like felt everything feels of of a quality of the main story. Like there's some really good side mission stuff, which, which almost feels like they just took chunks of the main story and then called it a side quest. So that by the end of the game, you're like, wow, even the side quests were amazing. Like they felt like unmissable, big, expensive adventures. Um, you know, it's a, it's a game where I felt like I had to see everything because everything was just so well done. I'm not a big fan of the ending. Uh, as we mentioned last week, I think it does the wrong thing of going, oh, I'm going to be all subtle at the ending, where you want the ending to be the most extreme thing you've ever seen. And actually, it's just a bit like, have a sad little moment at the top of a mountain, which is a bad trend. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. He should, I, be I, fighting, I, uh, he should be fighting Zeus in space. Well, um, yeah, I mean, literally, like, I, I want to get to the top of the mountain, and then the mountain turns into, like, a golem, and I have to fight a mountain. That's That's how that game should end. <laughs> Rather than some people kind of getting closure, snore, um, <laughs> you know. Um, uh. Yeah, I, yeah I, I'm as surprised as you, but I, I, I thought in terms of like big AAA, you know, wham bam blockbuster making, I thought this was just absolutely magic. Really, really hit the spot. Yeah, by no means am I snooty about this game, or, or Sony's exclusives generally. I should say, like, um, I do think that it's really cool they made, um, they committed to making these big, expensive single-player games that um, were quite long and made the most of the hardware. And this really did. Um, this is one of the few PS4 games that let you play at higher frame rates, which is very exciting <laughs> to me. Um, and it's like future-proofed it quite well for PS5. Um, so um, yeah, I um, I did play about ten hours of this. I got to the end of that Elf Realm. Um, yeah which went on for quite a long time. Um, and I agree with you that the camera perspective in this actually does make everything feel a lot more cinematic. Um, mm. And the spectacle of it was great. I don't really know why I stopped playing it, to be honest. Um, it, it, it was do, good. It do, it, I think it does dip around that weird elf realm. Like, mm. Goes that's on quite for ages, odd, that That's bit. probably my least favourite stretch of the game. It's, it's a bit of an odd one, that. Yeah, it goes on for a long, long time, that. Um, and, it doesn't uh, end. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's like missing one truly spectacular beat in that. I think it does have that cool bit where you disappear and you come back and you realise that your son's been left there for a long, long time. Um, mm-hmm. That's like quite. That's a very good moment. I think. A spoiler alert, I guess. But I, most people have probably played it by now. Who want to play it? I would imagine. If not, it comes free with your PS5 if you've got PS Plus, which is quite cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, no, I'm, I'm glad that's on there. I will definitely play it at some point. Yeah, I'm um, I'm pleased to see one of those um, PS4 exclusives managed to crack your list, Matthew. Is yeah, it the well, only one? well we've, we've yet to cover Uncharted 4 as well. Oh, that's true, yes. Um, cool, right. So uh, my number six, is that where we're at? Well, your number five? <laughs> what was your number six? Oh, no, my number six was Metal Gear Solid. Sorry, that's higher on your list. Yes. <laughs> Going well. That's what happens when you do thirty games. It's too many. Yeah. And uh, also, while uh, why my uh, also my dad is messaging me on Facebook, which is confusing me on my iPad that I'm looking at, um, <laughs> which is uh, why I can no longer count. Is he saying uh, boy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's always addressed me that way. It's weird. My number five is Uncharted Four. God, that was a good opportunity for a segue that I completely fucked. Um, oh. <laughs> amazing. Um, so yeah, Uncharted Four, the uh, the highest uh, of the. PlayStation exclusives on my list, a uh, bit higher than your. You had it on your list, Matthew. Yeah, I think this. Um, 
it feels weird putting it this high. Uh, really, like um, this is like the perfect version of what you see in that Uncharted trilogy on PS3. A kind of more contemporary version of that cinematic adventure less linear than previous entries it's got a couple of like open worldy bits they're not massively open worldy but they're enough to change the pace of the game a little bit Mm. um they let you approach um set pieces and stealth it's not a very good stealth game it's very simple um yeah you just stay out of people's vision cones and choke them out and uh hope that you don't get caught and most of the time you do and most of the time it ends in a firefight at least (laughs) it did in my playthrough but i really loved it and i think um and I, I did feel like Nathan Drake's story was told by the end of Uncharted 3. And while I think that the brother stuff they bring into this with Sam doesn't, like, always work, I think he's a kind of, like, mixed sort of um, end result as a character. I did realise that oh, I'm well up, actually, for, like, the kind of one more, uh, one last job uh, Nathan Drake story. Mm. Um and the way they kind of portray Elena in this is very well done as well. That could easily have gone, like, quite wrong. But the way they kind of bring her back into it the way the game kind of ignores all the stuff you learn about Sully in Uncharted 3 and <laughs> pretends it doesn't really happen. Um, mm. It worked really well, and the choice of locations are amazing, like these mountainous canyon area where you're looking for treasure. You kind of get to be Indiana Jones for a while, going into all of these different caves and finding cool stuff, but they're kind of like woven into the open world. Mm. Uh, like a big um, big kind of island that you find later. Oh, when I love that for... island. Oh, yeah. When you're going around on a boat with your brother and you can just take your time to find these bits and pieces that are dotted around the map. That was a, a wonderful little slice of open world design. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. What's your um, your handle on Uncharted 4, Matthew? Yeah, I, like, I do. I love I loved Naughty Dog. You know, last generation, you know, I think they're absolutely masters of this kind of like, you know, cinematic third-person shooter adventure. Um, I just, I much prefer Uncharted to The Last of Us. I just prefer that they're putting their powers to like fun and like, you know, weirdly Uncharted 4 is kind of, it does feel post Last of Us in that it's a bit more like, on the surface, it feels like it's, it's going to be a bit more muted. I think it's got the big, silly highlights that it, it doesn't like, you know, will come crashing down. But I think it it sort of feels a bit more, maybe a bit more sort of psychologically deep than the previous Uncharted did. You know, he's a bit more of a muted character. There's a, there's a bit more sort of analysis of Nathan Drake, the character, which feels like it came from the team that made The Last of Us. Um, mm. But despite their attempts to make it boring... Um, it's just a game where adventure comes bubbling through to the surface. Um, I, I I love all the the big set piece in this. I love the kind of the sort of James Bondy Mission Impossible kind of party that you sort of sneak into or you sneak around at the start uh, near the start. Um, that bit where you go to the island is absolutely amazing. The climbing the clock tower and then the clock tower collapse. The, that absolutely absurd chase sequence afterwards where you're getting dragged oh. by that rope in the mud and i mean so there's good. just so much stuff in these games i think how the hell did they like there's so much like background which exists for like two seconds in this game for you to drive past in a set piece and there's mm. so much detail and attention in everything i mean god it's it's a uh, like uncanny thing really um like, I've never yeah. really bought into it much as an actual action game. Like, I've never been wild about Uncharted shooting. I think mm. this has got, like, a few little bits which make it a bit more lively. Like, I like the sort of verticality of it. I like there's a big emphasis on, like, jumping off higher ground and then punching people in the face when you land on them, um, which is very satisfying. Um, 
Yeah, the grappling hook that added a lot to this. That one. yeah, I just think it's like he makes more sense as a bit of a sort of scrambling. Like there's a bit of scrambling desperation to all the fights, which feels a bit truer to like like Nathan Drake and Indiana Jones. Um, mm. I still don't think the. Um, I think it's a real shame they don't really know how to end these games. Like, I think the endings to every Uncharted is always the worst bit. Like this one, you have that quite crap sword fight in a ship, which uh, like boss. You know, they they feel like they need to have a boss fight at the end for some reason, which I've never quite understood. Um, and of mm. course, it ends with the smuggest ten minutes of video games ever, like an emotional <laughs> kind of epilogue, which I, uh, you know, <laughs> they shouldn't do because they do it earlier in the game, and it's fine. I don't mind it earlier in the game because it's very charming, and like they play one of the worst platformers of all time, and you know <laughs> that that the two it's it's good from a, it's a good story beat because that the two of them can play Crash Bandicoot, but still like be happy together shows like how powerful their relationship is because the souring <laughs> influence of crash doesn't derail it um so that's that's it's nice it's very that's actually a very well observed character beat um powerful metaphor you think yeah <laughs> but the end you know the set you know w- whether it's set up for like a potential direction of the series or whatever nah, but it's not Nah, it's just i i found it very like a snore i it should end with you like fighting god in a mudslide on the side of a mountain (laughs) (laughs) uh well i actually quite like that epilogue even though it's got that real whiff of oh a lot of us are dads now um and like it's kind of like it's like when uh, people put like too many photos of their kids on facebook i'm like yep you know i know i know you're you're a dad yeah well done (laughs) congratulations um i'm fine like uh, but i was fine with it here i thought the tone the tonal shift works it's not very long um, I like the idea that you are this, you know, daughter picking through the kind of legend of your parents that you didn't know about. I thought that was nicely done. Um, mm. What I'm not like that- is she's in that house and she realises the house has been built on quicksand. The house starts sinking and you have to escape from the house and like all Jeez. the junk from the previous adventures gets like pulled into the quicksand <laughs> just a big action set piece it's not the end of a hundred years of solitude matthew <laughs> jesus like the end of the drake lineage uh, completely destroyed um yeah so um yeah i uh no I, I quite like that but um i think to your point about detail this game has like the best gravel in any game like the <laughs> collapsing slate in that scotland section um do you remember yeah. that? Like you could just shoot it, and it just—it's why is it perfectly simulated? That took, must have taken ages to do. You know? The one that always gets me is that the the little bit where you drive around in the in the jeep on the kind of planes or where it is, and mm. like it's got like a those sort of slightly springy kind of rods that come out of jeeps. What are they for? Are they like—is that like a radio antenna? I don't know. But yeah, like, yeah. whenever you stop, it like physically like wobbles in the right direction and, <laughs> and like the oil cans in the back of the Jeep kind of shift around based on how you're driving and you're like, that's mad that they did that. Um I'm pretty isn't this the game that like invented I'm pretty sure this was like the first one that did the thing of characters are talking, then you go off and do something else, and then they're like, Alright, I'll get back to you and then you get back in the car and they're like, Where was I? Oh yes, it's this which now <laughs> ev- every game does, but I'm pretty sure this is the first time I'd seen that done. Yeah, I think GTA five might have done it first. Oh um, okay. But uh, I might be wrong about that, but um But yeah, that's, certainly that's nice a touch. trend of this generation. People who are abnormally good at holding onto anecdotes um <laughs> no one does that in real life. Like, imagine you're telling a story to someone, then they leave you and have a gunfight, and you come back and you're like, oh, right, um, 
do you mind if I finish my story now? Like, no one talks like that. That's anyway, mad. it was 1986, and I was uh, strangling this guy, and yeah, yeah. yeah and, you're like, um, and you're like, oh, I actually, I've just had a gunfight. Like, I don't, I can't remember the beginning of the anecdote. Like, can you <laughs> not talk to me right now? I've killed someone. Uh, <laughs> but uh, my last point on Uncharted Four is that, like, uh, the Last of Us influence, I think that you mentioned, is very, is very true. I think there's a sense that, like. In this game, everything becomes just a bit more real, and I think that's kind of mirrors the fact that the game obviously looks way more realistic than the PS3 ones did. Like mm. they look almost like real people. It's a beautiful looking game, um, and it, yeah, the, the whole kind of like vibe of it is that oh, this is like a bit too close to real life now for us to keep doing this. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I like that about it. I also like how the final boss recounts everything that you've done in the previous games with like exasperation like how the fuck are you the guy who did this this and this and you know you 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 have seen all those adventures play out and i did like that even though that sword fight is bad um Mm. so yeah he said Um, if you thought playing crash bandicoot was bad wait until i kill you with this cutlass (laughs) well i hope that um the last of us part three has a part where you play jack to renegade um for like four hours Um, jack x (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm sure people have made that joke before. But um, yeah, uh, what's your number five, Matthew? Uh, Metal Gear Solid Five: Phantom Pain. Nice, pretty close together then. That's probably the one where we're closest in um, in, uh, yeah. in in our list. Yeah, um, a phenomenal game. Uh, yeah, brilliant. I, I think technically, the like as a stealth experience, the best game Kojima ever made. I, I think that might be different from what the best Metal Gear game is um, because. This, I don't think, ticks a lot of boxes for a lot of people in terms of the story. Um, I don't really care as much about that. Well, it turned out I didn't care as much about that as I thought I did, because I, I was absolutely wowed by this. Um, just a, a brilliant stealth sandbox like nothing else. I mean, you know, people call Hitman a, a stealth sandbox, but this is, this is uh, like, just the freedom of having stealth encounters in an open world and being to being able to approach enemy compounds from any direction the whole kind of having to recon them beforehand to kind of get a feel of what the challenge is going to be and how wrong they can go uh i i just thought this was like next level stealth from kojima yep i completely agree with you um you make a good point there everyone would probably say that um metal gear solid 3 is the best straight kind of metal gear game Mm. um if you're after that story stuff, or perhaps the first Metal Gear Solid, which is still very playable, um, but yeah, I agree with you. This is um, just uh, experimenting with the the enemies with different kind of tools. The fact that you can still unlock tools like tens of hours into it that you yeah. hadn't had before, like the um, Hand of Jehuti from Zone of the Enders Two, which lets you like pull guys towards you and they kind of and then knock them out. That's really cool. Mm. Um, yeah, like the different you know like the you get your your dog and your mech thing and your uh, you know your horse like i like the different how you <laughs> that you're kind of like companions are like different tools you can use in in um in the game i um, really like the having quiet as the sniper that was always really good yeah the fact that yeah just like there is like nothing more fun in that game than like just pointing at an enemy and just saying quiet and then she just snipes it takes yeah. like a headshot or, straight away or like just calling in your helicopter and it's playing like ride of the valkyries and everyone's like <laughs> what everyone's just distracted by it oh it's great yeah yeah, the fact that you could find all those different tapes around the environment. There's some really, some really fun ones out there. Um, I like that this, a side note, I like that there's a PT tent in Metal Gear Solid 5. I don't know if you've ever found that, but there's a tent that has um, PT radio noises that play in there. Oh, um, really? I like that as an Easter egg. Um, yeah, what I don't think it matters. What happens if you say Jareth in that tent? 
Uh, and I'm not sure actually. That's something that I can go and test out after this. Um, yeah. um, has the classic like uh, Kojima's very childish sense of humour of making your horse do a poo. Oh um, yeah, which, ca- which cars can skid on. <laughs> yep, amazing. Uh, yeah, I just agree with you. Like it kind of um, it, it took Metal Gear to its sort of immersive simi heights. Um, like it was more like an immersive sim than those previous games, which had all sort of dabbled in it but were quite simple. Here it was it felt very complex here, like the way the ways levels were laid out and the, the different ways you could sort of plant traps and yeah. um interrupt kind of enemy behaviour. Yeah, amazing. It, it, stuff. it made some of the like the backlash to it a bit baffling to me because some people were like, oh, oh this game's terrible. The story doesn't conclude properly. It's like what were you playing this series? I, I it just made me think, wow, I really am playing like this series for different reasons, you know? Yeah. It, it just it didn't like I just didn't I just didn't care at all like mm. yeah that didn't compute for me i didn't i didn't get like why people were even invested in the story like it felt so clearly like it was trying to be something else like it was a different age of metal gear game um yeah i'm i'm just sad that the kind of lineage of it seems to have ended here um there's a mm. metal gear metal gear survive which i know um you know rich stanton has some strong thoughts and that it's not as bad as everyone says it is yeah. um but the fact that, like, I don't know, is there a Metal Gear Solid 6? Is anyone making it? Who knows? But it shouldn't be a question, really. This one sold really well. It was critically acclaimed. Just fucking make a new one, you know? It's, yeah. uh, people people want to see what you can, what else you can do with those um, those stealth systems. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I really loved it. And if people what people had the, like, lore-filled, like, Easter egg-filled game, and it was called Metal Gear Solid 4, and it was bad. So, like, why do you <laughs> yeah. want another one? You know? Good stuff. Um so, Matthew, uh, we are up to my number four, is that right? Yeah. Hitman 2, that's where I've got Hitman 2. Oh, um, I feel bad. I feel like a traitor to Agent 47 for putting <laughs> it so low. No, I think it's fine. Like, it's a complicated one to do because we've chosen to do individual games here rather than, like, entire series. And yeah. what we're really doing here is putting the whole trilogy in, right? Like, it's, you know, a Trojan horse for that. Um, so this is the, um, as we discussed on the Hitman podcast, Hitman 2 is the most complete package of a Hitman game. Uh, in terms of like this, the levels are just sprawling. It had this multiplayer mode. It had the kind of sniper stuff in it. Uh, it had DLC, like it, you know, it had Warner Brothers as publisher, and it that seemed to have some kind of an impact on the um, end result. Uh, mm. Is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely for sure. Yeah, in, so, in a way um, that felt you feel the absence of that stuff in three. I think. Yeah, and it's made up for, I think, by the fact that 3 lets you boot in these levels from 1 and 2. Yeah. Um, so it feels like such a complete package anyway. Um, yeah. But I agree with you. Having never played the multiplayer stuff, that I suspect I would have quite enjoyed. I played it at a preview event, yeah, but never... It was, um... it was okay. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting idea. But um, yeah, so how come you put 2 here and not 3, Matthew? Um, I just think that... I just think there's a bit more going on to the levels in two. I think three is fantastic, and I absolutely, you know, I, I there's some all timer levels in it. But I think the fact that uh, like the theme of Hitman Two is like it's almost like size and silliness. You know, the levels generally are huge, and they're packed with just really fun stuff to do. Like I can replay a Hitman 2 level and there's a lot more to like find and discover than there is in Hitman 3 which which it's slightly like I'd say Hitman 3's vibe is kind of quality over quantity um 
where Hitman Two. That isn't to say Hitman Two is like duff at all. Like the, the, the I think the, the the best bits of Hitman Two stand up with the best bits of Hitman Three for sure. But there's just a bit more going on to the levels. Um, I like the kind of silly vibe of it a bit more. Um, it's you know when you factor in the DLC as well. That adds to absolutely killer levels. I love the bank in New York. I love Haven Island. Um, they are, you know, they are absolutely stonking good levels. Um, you know, mechanically, it's so much of a muchness. In fact, you know, now the way I'll play Hitman Two is in Hitman Three, where you know everything's brought in line with that technically. So, you know, it's even harder to kind of divorce the packages. But you know, just for the sake of picking one game, I thought this was like just a huge burst of 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 fun and yeah. since we did our podcast i've become a a big convert to to the powers of mumbai so mm. um yeah what, that, well, what kind of clinched it for you with mumbai um i think what i didn't really realize was was actually how many ways there are of like like bringing the targets together in different combinations like there are a few ways um that storyline with the sniper is brilliant like the mm. the rival assassin that you kind of trick into into doing the hits for you um is just is is stonkingly good and it is just uh as a location it is so dense to explore it's, it is it is it's just a brilliant place <laughs> yeah absolutely um yeah if you want to hear more about hitman obviously we did a whole podcast on it it's 2 hours long um it's nice that hitman twitter is a thing that's like popped up since we did that podcast like uh, not yeah. because of us obviously <laughs> yeah but, we created it <laughs> I feel like we were early adopters of uh, Hitman trilogy being good, but um, not that I give myself any credit for its success, but it's nice that people are playing it. Um, so, Matthew, what's your number four? Uh, my number four is Dishonored 2. That's my number three, so that's perfect. Fantastic. Yeah. I-, I think this was just probably my favourite gaming universe this generation. Like, just as a world to step into, it's so fully formed and the way that you discover it through play, I think, is just brilliantly done. I mean, that's like Arcane's thing to a T. Is the you know the immersive sim, um, and uh, like discovering a feeling and a history of a place by being in it is really exciting. Paired with the fact you just have some of the most playful powers and some of the most playful level twists ever. I mean, I was, there's not loads of levels in Dishonored Two, but I don't think there's a dud amongst them, and and a few of them are probably like the best like virtual spaces of all time um mm. like the mansion that's stuck in two time zones absolute killer the mechanical mansion you know a, a big kind of clockwork mansion which is all sort of sort of unfolds and rebuilds itself in insane ways that's crazy i love the level where you have to uh, assassinate and there's like a body double in the level and you have to work out which person you're you're actually after. Um, mm. I, this is just I, uh, every memory I have of this game is good. <laughs> yeah, like um, that was something I noticed when looking through the kind of like wikis on Dishonored Two. It has fewer levels than I remember, but I remember every single one. Yeah, um, and that's um, that's key. Yeah, so uh, I I think that the um, I've written down some of the same things here. A crack in the slab, which is the. Um, different time frames uh yeah. level that has like a kind of amazing cause and effect mechanics don't really know how they did that just a kind of magic um same applies to the clockwork mansion the f- first time you see all the all of that move it's just unbelievable and uh yeah so that's um those are the splashier levels but also the royal conservatory is a level i really like oh, um great yeah 
has a massive street leading out to it with like a like a someone's bedroom you can explore on the way in. Um, once you're in there, it's just you know this sort of prop laden, like amazing, sprawling like um, location. Really has loads of different floors, loads of different ways you can play that one. I believe they um, brought it back for the Death of the Outsider um, expansion, which I've not played actually. Um, mm-hmm. Is that good? You played that? Yeah, yeah, it, it is good. Um, like I, I'm not sure Billy Lurk is, is as fun as as um, either the characters in Dishonored Two. I think that's that's the only limit on it. But as a burst, a, you know, an extra chunk of that game, it's it's still pretty amazing. Yeah. Also, the um, the level where you um, uh, you are going into that kind of like island sort of um, sanitarium kind of place, uh, like hospital sort of place. Yeah. Um, that's really well done and like uh, quite quite sad. Um, what can happen with the um, target in that one? Um, but also kind of amazing that you uh, you can do it in a non lethal way. Um, mm. Yeah, so I, I really love Dishonored 2. Um, the only problem I have with Dishonored is that I find the stealth a bit harder to pass than I do in other immersive sims and stealth games. Right. Um, just because the levels are so like, are laid out to be quite vertical, um, and I can never quite entirely understand why I'm caught or or exactly how to like circumnavigate enemies in certain right. levels where they're just they're just stacked with people you ever had that problem or is that just me i don't know yeah i saw i saw annoying me and i think just by playing so strictly stealthily through it i kind of got my head around most of it but i mean it's a game i i quick load and save an obscene amount so hmm. yeah uh, but i um love the change of setting in this one as well from dumble to Karnaka. um just a really nice kind of mediterranean feeling sort of place um Jindosh's lock Matthew wrote that down as well classic uh, absolute classic basically like a whole level mission you can do to get the, the kind of code to break into a house or you can just try and like crack the lock and basically skip a whole level of the game yeah but like um I remember like taking loads and loads of notes getting that wrong like a whole bunch of times but then um cracking it feeling like amazing um, oh it's great oh my god what a game. Yeah. I really hope they make more Dishonored because this is just... Uh, what a series. Yeah, just felt like it didn't sell what it deserved to sell this one. They should have sold like 10 million copies and it's um, the fact it didn't is uh, it's it's on the general public and their lack of taste, Matthew. Yeah, um, well, maybe now that Xbox own or Microsoft own Bethesda and all these studios, maybe they'll be happy just having like a couple of studios making just prestige critical hits. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. Um <laughs> Yeah, well, that was my number three, Matthew. So, what's your number three? My number three is The Witcher Three: Wild Hunt. Nice. I wondered how high this would be on your list. I knew it wouldn't get number one because I feel like I know what number one is. But um, yeah, yeah, number three. It was a big, big deal for you this uh, generation, The Witcher, wasn't it? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I really loved The Witcher. I actually came to The Witcher quite late. Um, in the run up to The Witcher Three is when I played Witcher Two uh, on three sixty, and then I played Witcher One actually after I played Witcher Three. Um, so I completely played them completely out of out of order. Um, Witcher Two got me super invested in the world and characters, and there was a lot of like carryover. There are a lot of people who you know basically went off and were hinted they were going to return, and when they did return, that made The Witcher Three extra satisfying. So I, I love the interplay between the two games. Um, I kind of wish I had played them on PC because there you get like you know the full wallop of being able to to bring your witcher 2 save file over to witcher 3 where um on console it's they don't have the transfer down so 
they just ask you some questions at the start of like did you kill this bloke and you say yes or no um <laughs> one of the best th- one of the things i i most an- annoy me about that actually is that um in Witcher 2, there's a brilliant side quest where you get really, really drunk and you wake up the next morning and you've got this huge, terrible tattoo. Um, and then you you solve... It's a bit like, dude, where's my car? You have to basically work out what happened the night before. Um, and um, so... But if you if you then bring your save file over, like all through The Witcher 3, Geralt can still have this terrible tattoo, which you can't... You can't unlock oh. on the you can't unlock on the console, which if, which is annoying, uh, as far as I can tell. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I love this. I love this series mainly because of Geralt himself. Like, I love playing an RPG as a as a pre made character who has a, a place, a role, and a personality. Like, I I don't actually get off massively on on building a you know. A, a, a blank slate kind of hero and with a kind of generic personality i, I, I kind of like role playing as Geralt. um he has the best job to, for this world like the role of the witcher in this universe of going around and doing quests just makes so much sense for an rpg like it's a game where none of it feels like bullshit because it, everything he's asked to do you know that is what he's there to do and you can role play as that job and that profession and make decisions as him um it's got some really fun choice and consequences um just feels kind of adult in a way you know like and i don't just mean in in the kind of because there's loads of of swearing and everyone's a bit unpleasant but it it's not like cute and soft it's a bit kind of sort of you know it's sort of mud and blood and piss it's all a bit more kind of um game of thronesy than like high fantasy um just a, a really satisfying world i love how the trees blow in the wind as well um it's got really nice countryside to ride around in in this game um and it just i don't it, like w- when i look back on it i think a lot of it it has a lot of bad habits i hate in other games like there's an awful lot of like ticking icons off the map but for some reason it doesn't feel artificial in the way that it does in ubisoft and it's still something i think about and haven't quite been able to pin down i don't know if it's just because you know like i said his job it makes sense for you to go clear out these monster nests so it doesn't feel as as off or, or maybe it's just like the volume and placement of them is is just on the right side of like chawsome um but yeah this just just world felt kind of alive and explorable in a way that uh, i don't think cyberpunk did um yeah, I love it. I love these characters. I really miss it. It's one of the few games when I got to the end, I actually felt very sad that I didn't have any more adventures to come um, until I made two amazing DLCs. Yeah, I um, it's one of the biggest like um, marks against me that I've not played The Witcher 3 properly. I feel like um, I didn't entirely get on with the combat from the bit I played, um, and I think it's largely acknowledged that the combat is the weakest part of this game, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a really strange thing where, like, mechanically, I don't think it does anything particularly amazingly well. Like, it's it's a bit, you know, the menus are a bit of a fuss, the, the combat isn't great, you know, some of the powers are a bit limited, but just the, I don't know, the world, the story, and the characters kind of trumpet, and, like, they're not horrible, they're just not particularly fun. If you made The Witcher with a really fun combat system, I mean, that would probably be the greatest game of all time. Well, it's um, largely assumed the next game they're going to make is The Witcher 4, right? But um, obviously the appetite for it has probably changed a bit since Cyberpunk came out. Um, but uh, yeah. yeah, I um, no, I, w- I will play this at some point. To um, 
I suppose like a big barrier, Matthew, is I know that The Witcher 2 is good because I played about 20 hours of it on Xbox 360 and then kind of like forgot about my save. This was about 10 years ago. Mm. Um, To people who are picking The Witcher 3 up now, how would you recommend um, going about playing it? Let's say you have access to a PC. Uh, I mean, if you can, like I really would suggest playing The Witcher 2. Like they're sort of self-contained. They're odd games in that they sort of throw you in at the deep end in all of them. Like you never have like a a, a gentle introduction to like Geralt. You just sort of just have to sort of take it at face value and sort of deal with it. But if you play two, you know, you have a better idea of like all his mates and stuff. It just means a lot more when you meet them. I mean, it does a good job of introducing them when you do meet them in three, but it kind of hits the ground running kind of plot wise. Um, and that's the same in two, but like the, I'd say the rewards in three are better if, you know, it's a more rewarding thing if, if you have, have that grounding. So I would, pl- I would suggest playing two. Two is, is great. I mean, it, it's, it's like, a properly brilliant RPG, um, you yeah, know, which, which which I I like almost as much as The Witcher t- Witcher Three. So I, I would recommend it. Witcher One's like if you play Witcher One after Two and Three, like you'll have a bit of nostalgia. Like when you meet certain characters, you'll be like, oh great, it's them. Um, but it's also quite ropey in a lot of places. So don't don't feel the need to. You have to play that one. Play it afterwards as a as a curio. Mm, okay, two and three is a combo. Yeah. That's good. I will play that at some point. Um, the um, the Blood and Wine DLC always sounded very appealing to me in this as well. The screenshots always looked like lovely and well, um, yeah, sounded like had a different vibe. You know? Yeah, it's like it's like Geralt goes to Disneyland. It's like after this this <laughs> like a hundred hours of like quite grim war torn countryside, you get to go to a kingdom which is basically like is the fantasy trope. It's all like beautiful forests and glittering blue. Uh, blue bays and there's a huge white castle in the middle and like stuff kicks off there but it's it's a lot more like fairy tale in 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 theme um it's also a great like epilogue to the main game because it's sort of like you know what would a witcher retirement look like i guess um Mm. it's very sweet and hearts of stone the dlc uh, which was the first one they did has got like probably the best quests of any of the witcher games in it um there's one where like he, you have to go to the, you have to show this dead man a good time and you let him basically possess Geralt and and then Geralt has to go to this big party you get to spend like an hour at this party with this quite randy ghost inside you it's really good <laughs> oh that's top no i will play that at some point um yeah that's uh you're not surprised to hear it so high on your list yeah so, i love it so my number 2 matthew is the legend of zelda breath of the wild i assume this is on your list it is, and spoiler alert, it's higher. <laughs> In which case, let's talk about your number two. My number two is Outer Wilds. Wow. I would not have guessed this was so high, but I did wonder. I do remember you telling me that you really like this game. So Yeah, um... I mean, this is yeah, this was my favourite game of 2019. Um, I did play it on PC. I ummed and armed about whether it's truly of... If, if I associate it with more with PC than specifically the console generation, but it was on Xbox, so I thought, you know what, I'll give I'll give this a shout out. Um, well, not just a shout out. Oh, it's number two. It's pretty high. Um, this I was absolutely wowed by this. This is a sort of I describe it as a detective game set in space. You're basically trying to solve a mystery. You are living in a solar system with a handful of planets. You're basically going out into the solar system to investigate 
um, well, to sort of study these other planets and follow in the footsteps of ancient civilizations. I call it a detective game because it's all about learning information from this world and then using that to sort of follow a breadcrumb trail to discover more about the world. So, you know, reading scientific research, which may reveal information on how to get past some of the obstacles on certain planets, for example. Um, what complicates things is that the universe you live in, and this is a spoiler alert, it's the heart of the game, so I have to talk about it. Um, the universe is destroyed every 20 minutes or so, and you find yourself in a Groundhog Day-like time loop where you wake up uh, basically at the campfire where you start the game. So you have 20 minutes to explore this universe before it resets. Um, so not only do you have this breadcrumb trail of clues, you have things that can only be achieved at certain times in that universe. Like the nature of the universe changes. There's a planet that's collapsing in on itself. There are two planets that are very close together and the sand on one planet is, is sort of sucked to the other by gravity. So it kind of, as one planet grows bigger, the other one, it sort of excavates ruins over time. So there's different things that can only happen at certain times in this world. And the mix of like deciphering its clues and using kind of time against this world to explore that's that stuff's just amazing like as design it ticks so many more boxes i love sleuthing i love investigating i love um i love time loops in games you know i love messing with the kind of clockwork logic of a place um so that's two huge ticks just conceptually as a place this is like a really mind-blowing like visual experience you know you're on a planet watching it collapse into a black hole in the middle or there's another planet where like the winds basically pull all the islands on a sea planet so it pulls them out into the kind of outer atmosphere of the planet and then they drop down with a splash and it's like just a work of incredible imagination um it's kind of got the power of like mind-blowing sci-fi of like its ideas are so big you just feel dwarfed by them um i yeah i thought this was like an incredibly like powerful brilliant game i yeah it's yeah what like uh, one of my all-time top tens for sure wow yeah i um i played the igf build of this back when it was um floating around as a kind of student project um and i did really love it and when i played the final game i I worry I'm a bit too stupid to piece together the mysteries of this game. Um, it, like I want, I don't think I'm quite clever enough for it. Uh, uh, yeah, but I, yeah, it's weird because I think it. I think it does a lot to help. I think it, you know, it has like this ship's computer that like remembers all the information. Not having to learn the information every loop. Like any information you've learned is saved on your computer, so you mm. kind of chip away at it in that sense. Also, like you could basically go in like twenty directions. And there's not one route through the game. Like, there's so many different ways of tackling it, and the way they all kind of meet up at the end is is really satisfying. It's a it's a balancing act. It's a huge risk what they've done with this because, like you say, if 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 it wasn't clear enough, the whole thing would just be a totally confusing bust. Um, but I think they have. I think it is clear enough. There's only like a couple of moments where I got. There was a moment where I actually had to email them because I was like, "I'm so I have been playing and playing and playing this, and I cannot do it." And when they explained it to me, I was like, "Oh man, that's stuff." And I think they actually changed that bit later. They patched something in to make it a bit clearer. Um, 
I don't think you're the only one who had that experience either. I think that might happen to Phil Savage on PC. Yeah, Game. I think um, a lot of people were reviewing this. There's, there's a, like a hurdle right towards the end, which is just like it's like the only place I think it really properly dropped the ball. Um, but they have sort of sorted it since. Well, you can enjoy this game as an atmosphere piece anyway. Like um, mm. the idea of getting in your little spaceship and taking off in this, like that itself is a, is an amazing experience. Um, and it was back in the IGF build, and then uh, suddenly feeling like you there is all this stuff out there, and there's this kind of like weird music in the distance, and yeah, there's the shape of the planets like makes you want to explore them, and then when you get there, you'll see extraordinary things. Like I think, like you say, lofty sci-fi stuff. It kind of has that 2001 vibe a little bit. Um, there but being the yeah, yeah, it has that without being too dry though. It's not too like it's not like cold. It's not clinical. Like it's it, it, there's a lot of life in the world and a lot of character, which I think sort of saves it from that. Yeah, there's some there is that kind of like really cool thing about 2001 though, where there's a sense of something unknowable. Um, mm. In this case, that kind of precursor like species you're sort of researching the history of. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, I will definitely. definitely yeah, play, I, I, yeah, I love it. Maybe it's an odd. I don't know if it's an odd odd pick, but I, yeah, I just no. as a you know, I don't think it says anything about the generation. It doesn't feel particularly of the generation, and it probably is more of a like pc game um but yeah this just uh what a thing what i think i'm not even into space that's the thing like (laughs) normally i'm like oh god space why would you want to go there you know (laughs) like it just doesn't it doesn't appeal to me at all i don't like films about space much um but this one i was just yeah to get over that hurdle and be one of my favorite stories i think shows how spectacular it is yeah, I think that's a great pick. And uh, any excuse you can give people to check it out would be good. I don't think yeah. it was like a mega seller or anything. So um, It's on Game yeah. Pass. Yeah, great stuff. All right then, Matthew. My number one, it's Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice. Wow. Yeah, or Sekiro, as it might be called. I'm not sure about that, but there's um, one of the main villains in the game calls you Sekiro in the game, so that's wow. probably the way you say it. <laughs> I'd forgotten that you hadn't done that one already. That's super high. Did that, like, that's actually genuinely surprised you, has it? Yeah, I, I I forgot. I knew. I know that you love this game. I forgot that it, you hadn't said it, but I didn't think it would be your number one game. Yeah, much higher than Bloodborne. I think it's a much better game than Bloodborne. Um, this is the best sword combat game ever made. Um, perhaps the best third person combat game ever made. I know people think it's incredibly difficult. I say the logic of it is way easier to understand than Dark Souls and Demon Souls, which to me feel more like turn-based combat games in terms of like. You swing, then your stamina meter goes down, then you roll and you swing again. And like, I, I've never quite clicked with that style of combat. This is all about like the quick parry and the like, you know, um, sort of like careful use of abilities and that sort of stuff. And um, I really love it. I think the the setting, this unusual mix of um, history and folklore in this depiction of Japan, everything is kind of decaying in this world. I love that. Um, and its boss fights are kind of phenomenal. Uh, a lot of people know about the uh, big um, ape that throws poo at you. Uh, that's like pretty <laughs> pretty celebrated. Um, I think just like I've always kind of like been after this game though, where there's this like really powerful one to one sword combat, and you get a bit of it in like games like Jedi Academy and um, and uh, some other games that have sort of sword combat, but like just the way that swords clash in this and the way it rewards perfect parrying like what a phenomenal game i love this i got a deep sense of spiritual fulfillment from its um from completing the boss battles in this game like um learning it 
I pushed through a wall of hating it and like learned it. There is a boss fight early on, uh, Genichiro uh, Ashina, who you fight on. I think that's his name. You fight on top of this tower in this castle. That's where and, I got to. <laughs> yeah, and that is the make or break point of the game. If you beat that boss fight, you'll finish the game. If you don't, you won't finish the game. Like it's that's where you learn like perfect timing of like blocking hits and learning enemy patterns and stuff mm. um i'm amazed this is the from game that got through to me because i was one of those people who thought none of these games will ever appeal to me like i i love how they look i love that the detail they put into their worlds all that stuff great but i just never like the co- the combat in those games but this oh absolutely fucking adore it so so good um so what what did what did you make of what you played at this matthew yeah it's 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 the furthest i've ever got in a from software game um because i like the the setting in the world more than the others being a samurai that's that's cool i'm into that um yeah i i I could get my head around the combat a lot a lot better and and but i just i just couldn't do that that fucker on top of the tower um it's a shame because i was having an absolutely great time with this um i still think uh, the problem i have with from software games um, from the very little that I've played of them, so this is this is that's a major caveat, is that um, I find the gulf between bosses and the rest of the game so vast that it kind of bugs me. Like I can do the I can do the stuff between bosses fine. I can get my head around the logic of it. I can can survive that long, um, and then I just find myself dying on the same things over and over again, and it it feels that feels very boring to me. Like I wish. There, there was less of a focus on bosses and like the, the world was a, you know the, the 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 sort of gauntlets in between were a bit more interesting because it particularly in Sekiro you know I, I managed to uh, maybe it's because it has the stealth elements too but I managed to just you know get between more bosses and then sort of luck out and kill a few to get to that one you know about a third of the way in or whatever um yeah so it didn't quite solve that problem for me uh and that is a problem I still have with them but yep. yes. that's fair. I think that's fair. Yeah, um, that's I, I don't you know. It's maybe maybe it's just not for me. <laughs> well, I also think that this one benefits. Um, I, th- I think this one's better than the other ones because it doesn't have any arbitrary RPG mechanics. Like, oh yeah, you know, you forgot to equip your poison a resistance jacket or whatever. And oh, it's that's like, uh, that's the thing. So it's Dark Souls. You're like, oh, uh, oh, this description of this character sounds fun. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, you're fucked unless you play as a jester. And you're like, oh, right, great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. I actually <sighs> just hit that playing Dark Souls with um, a former colleague of mine on PC Gamer, uh, Wes Fenlon, who has very nicely like been a guided hand through it. So you've kind of been doing the bosses, basically, so I can kind of have this guided tour of Dark Souls. But um, it reached a point where it was like, oh, uh, your sword no longer works and you need to like forge a better sword and you don't have the materials so you have to repeat all these parts of the game. And I was like, uh, like however you feel about those games, surely you agree that's dog shit. Like, <laughs> that I can't just carry on playing this game. I have to go back and grind for a new sword. Surely, then again, I play Destiny. So, you know, glass <laughs> houses, man. Um, but yeah, that this strips all of that out. It's just, you know, the sword you have is the sword you will always have. The things you're changing are like stances and moves hmm. and stuff like that and um, abilities. So yeah, I feel comfortable putting this at my number one. Like, I don't necessarily think it's a more important game than Breath of the Wild. Um, in fact, I don't. I think Breath of the Wild's a more important game. Um, but this is the one that felt like it meant the most this generation, that I got the most kind of into. I got hmm. into this game in a way that I thought 
was like beyond me now like uh mm. sort of being a 16 year old playing game for hundreds of hours that kind of, it made me feel like that um yeah uh, so matthew number one go for it legend of zelda breath of the wild what a shocker <laughs> uh we're all just like wow everyone at home is like holy fuck um yeah, yeah. this I, there was a little bit of arming and ahhing about this just in terms of like whether it was of this generation i think because it's on wii u it is um I will put my hand up and say I played it on Switch. Um, but I don't think that massively changes it. I know several people who played this on Wii U, and for them it is a Wii U game, and, you know, it is of, it is of this, this generation. Um, yep. Yeah, uh, I mean, I actually find talking about Legend of Zelda, quite diff- uh, Breath of the Wild, quite difficult just because it's, it's sort of so vast and it's, uh, you know, it's magic is still slightly sort of vague to me right in the review of it was a nightmare trying to pin down exactly why it why it, it you know it made me feel the way i felt about certain things in it um i think the the line i came down to on on um when i wrote the review which i did for games radar actually um was that you know the line with zelda has always been you know, even back in Ocarina of Time, it was like, you see that mountain in the distance? You can get to that mountain. And it was such a pure, like, essence of adventure in a sentence. You know, you were like, oh, wow, yeah, that's really exciting. You know, imagine a world where if you can see it, you can go there and think of all the things that are going to happen. Um, except, like, you could, but it was kind of fake, you know? Like, it, there's lots of loading transitions, a lot of self-contained areas, and this, for the first time, felt like this was this was Zelda, which delivered on that promise of, you know, if you can see it, you can go there, and you can actually go there, and you had to go there, and the adventures you had along the way were incredibly unpredictable. You know, there's a, a genuine spark of life to this world, um, you know, with the simple introduction of some, like, basic sort of physics and some interesting kind of alchemy systems between, like, fire and water and electricity, um, which just, you know, put a breath of life into into the thing and um, just with very few tweaks just made this place feel completely completely alive and reactive in a way I, I haven't really seen in another game and you know it, it's so much simpler than other open world games but like just the sense of the unexpected and, and what could happen and this the sense of it reacting to what you do and it's kind of my it's still sort of mind-blowing to me and that the 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 kind of i don't know that's like magic that feels like proper magic you know in, in the way that you can kind of do something and the world reacts and unfolds from those actions um yeah it's kind of that's sort of how i feel about breath of the world <laughs> yeah i think a lot of people made the point at the time that you have the sort of reactivity between systems that you do in sort of more immersive simi games on PC, but it's mm. boiled down into this very like easy to play form. Um, I too find this a hard game to talk about. Um, I reflect on it as a truly like wonderful, like I don't know, like the life affirming experience. It's just one of those games that uh, I I played the um, E3 demo, and I obviously like everyone had a really good feeling about it. But it's the way that the abilities you get later in the game stack to make exploring more fun um the amount of secrets buried in this world there's some like amazing like one-off things you can just sort of find and enjoy in this game Mm. um cool recurring stuff like those weird sort of dragons that float around the first time i saw one of those come out of um a lake was 
amazing. Just like, oh my god, I can't, I cannot believe this game. That's had that it, feeling. Yeah, it, it it's so stuff with stuff you have to see, but it doesn't lead you to any of it. It just happens organically. Nothing in this game is like there's no like video gamey kind of bullshit on top of it. You know, there's no mm. like enemy camps marked on it. You just kind of encounter everything as you encounter it. Um, the sense of like exploration and what the cl- what the fact that you can climb anything does, you know, turns every inch of the landscape into like an exploration puzzle. You know, it's the idea that you can get anywhere if you try, but the you know the journey is is um, as interesting and and uh, you know requires like thought in a way that you know when I play like Assassin's Creed now and the fact that like climbing a mountain in Assassin's Creed is, is a case of like holding a trigger and pressing forward. And then yeah. after 10 minutes, your character will have climbed that mountain. Like it's just baked in that they'll do it. But here you're like, I really want to get up there and you're desperately looking between footholds or you're crafting little stamina potions. Um, it's full of busy work in the way that like survival games are, but it's positive. It's all like really positive busy work. There's nothing here that's like boring, you know. It, you know, it goes well. You know, unless this is this is like an obstacle that's standing in the way of something fun. So let's not have like hunger meters. That doesn't that doesn't matter. But let's have all these other sort of systems where if you get on top of them, like extraordinary things are going to happen. You know, it doesn't set as its baseline. You have to master these systems just to live in this world. It says you have to master these systems to be like an incredible adventurer, and that's that's a huge difference, I think. So it just learnt from like it felt like it had learnt from like what a lot of other people have been doing outside of nintendo and it had just sort of like nailed these things and gone what's the best version of this um yeah Yeah. like the jump from skyward sword to this and i love skyward sword but it's the exact opposite of this game like skyward sword is a game where like it's 100 handcrafted like everything in its place everything is like everything feels like level design like even the open world feels like very tight dungeon design in that game like it's a completely like artificial space where this is just a completely organic natural space like i kind of struggle to sit you know the the leap that team made it's kind of amazing it's like it completely recalibrated itself and changed its entire mindset you know it had been going down this avenue that it basically invented with ocarina it basically couldn't get out of the shadow of ocarina of time and had been remaking that game in various iterations even wind waker which has the open world ocean like at the heart of it is is still ocarina of time and this was just not that at all i like it must have been terrifying to like step away from what you know like that um yeah like what a what a thing i wish there was more about it you know like you know, we didn't get an Awata asks for this, you know, for the obvious reason Mr. Awata had passed away by the time it came out. And, oh, is that right? I think that's right. Yeah, um, But yeah. yes, yes. You know, either way, like, not a lot is known about this. I'd kill to know. Like, this is a game. This is the only game I want to know more about. You know, I could listen to hundreds of hours of developers on this, but it's a lot of it is a mystery. And it's, uh, that's kind of infuriating. <laughs> yeah. Um I think that if there's one disappointing thing, it's that the way that people have taken influence from this game is just to rip off its art direction and its stamina meter um, instead of like taking the systemic stuff and thinking, how can we build better open world games? Um, so I've just been playing Ghost of Tsushima, which is a game I actually re- I'm really enjoying. Um, 
but the platforming in it is like you say that assassin's creed like oh i'll jump from this like um clearly demarcated um part of this hill to another in order to like scale um a location and like zelda breath of the world breaks down all of those barriers of interaction that stop those things from feeling fun um it puts Mm. everything in your hands like it doesn't feel like it's ever playing itself for you um, mm. which I think is the number one problem with Assassin's Creed. It does feel like it's playing itself with the platforming and the combat to a large extent. This game is just like, oh, you just feel completely in charge of it um, yeah. and how and how you enjoy it and how you navigate it. Um, yeah, just an unbelievably good game. And there's another, yeah, there's another one, Matthew. They're making another one. I know. I have no idea how they're going to follow it up. I, like, I have no idea. Like, you know... As Ocarina set the direction, I'm so intrigued to what what uh, post Breath of the Wild Zelda is going to look like and behave like. Um, yeah, I, oh god, imagine, oh god, imagine if it happened this year. Oh please, <laughs> it would be a, a yeah a hell of an end to the year. Um, yeah, I I agree with you about Skyward Sword as well. There's it feels like there's about ten years between um, you know this game and that game, and there's you know I think it's like six years maybe. Um, yeah, maybe five, like closer to five. It's just, but the the difference in those games is just enormous. Um, I like I'm, I'm always I know that Nintendo like consistently makes great games, but on a personal level, I'm always here when Nintendo makes those big generational leaps and is like and does something you've never seen before. Um, which is how mm. I felt about Mario Galaxy, you know, and it's how I felt about this game. It's like it doesn't happen so often, but when it does that's like that's the nintendo magic i'm just like really here for it's just yeah, ab- yeah i just think for years they kind of you know with n64 they basically invented some of the rules of you know that would come to define like 3d gaming that's why they felt so revolutionary and then they felt like they were working within those rules sort of ever since then and breath of the world probably more so even than galaxy is like a is is like a next leap um but we just uh, hopefully everyone will learn the right lessons from it, and not just um, yeah. You're right. It's not just stamina meters, that isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Matthew, we did it. We reached the end of the top thirty. Oh my god! It took well fucking ages. Us. Yeah, I, I thought this one would take less than two hours, but um, <laughs> unfortunately, there were some really good games here that we had to talk about. In god details. damn it! God damn these good games. Yeah, the next episode will definitely be a little bit shorter. Um, just uh, so, uh, just for our sake, more than anything. I need to eat another big sandwich now after this call. <laughs> um, but Matthew, we'll take one short break, then we'll come back with a few uh, reader questions, or like one reader question, I don't remember. Um, I think it's a few. Uh, and then some quick fire questions, um, a la the questions I asked you at the end of the last episode oh. about the generation. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Matthew, it's the final part of a very long podcast. Yes. I'm going to ask you some quick questions about the generation. So what's a game you like this generation that other people didn't? I struggled with this a bit, uh, and I came down to Sherlock Holmes' Crimes and Punishments, um, which I think I only liked the tune of giving it a 6 out of 10. (laughs) But I, 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 I... this this game sticks in my head as like it did some interesting things with detective work um uh where you can kind of like collect clues and pin crimes on other people and think it's it's like got a weirdly flexible accusation system which isn't the sexiest thing in the world but as someone who really likes detective games i like to see people doing you know trying interesting things in in that space um and i don't know it's just kind of like 
you know, a good kind of the kind of triple A game, triple A, the kind of double A sort of not triple A game that doesn't really get made anymore. Um, and I like Sherlock Holmes. It, it's really not a very good game, but I I quite fond of it. <laughs> yeah, that's a, an interesting choice. Um, I went with Mirror's Edge Catalyst for this one. Uh, that's, um, that's, that's more like it. <laughs> yeah. So this is uh, it. Did not I didn't like it enough to make my top thirty, but I did give it seventy eight percent for PC Gamer. I had to mark it down because it has like I think three mandatory combat sections, which don't have those in Mirror's Edge. That was a lesson they should have learned from the first one. Yeah. Um, but I thought as an open world reprisal of those ideas from the first mirror's edge like what a treat if you really love that first game then i i I don't know how ea justified making a sequel um i don't think mirror's edge was a big seller uh and i think everyone thought dice had become the battlefield studio and that was all the stuff they did but Mm. um yeah i was pleased they made this if you um look at screenshots of this game too i think um dead end thrills has some really nice screenshots of this one like a phenomenal looking game um yeah mirror's edge catalyst i think is a little bit underrated uh uh, as is the original Mirror's Edge, but um, hmm. yes, um, Matthew, which developer was the big winner of this generation? I, I am denied about this. I think l- late in the generation, Capcom had a pretty storming run. I think with like Resident Evil Two remake, Monster Hunter World, uh, the Devil May Cry Five was great. Um, yeah, they just made really. They were making like big, fun, quite traditional video games. Considering they started off the generation quite wonky form, I thought it was all a little bit like Dead Rising Three. Um, uh, yeah, I, there's probably a much stronger candidate you're about to name. <laughs> well, I think um, I put down Respawn Entertainment because oh, yeah. they made Titanfall. Um, this generation it wasn't a massive success, but then they got acquired by EA. Um, released Titanfall 2 don't know why that came out at the same time as Battlefield 1 seems like a massive blunder by EA um, but made uh, then made Apex Legends then made um, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order albeit quite different teams I understand across those different games um, but you know all under that uh, umbrella and um, I think EA kind of needed a developer like this this generation because um, it had stopped becoming like a hit maker outside of FIFA um, and Battlefield so yeah, the fact that Respawn did some interesting stuff this generation and each of those games achieved some level of success, whether it was critical or commercial, mm. that's cool. I had I had three of their games on my list. That seems like a pretty yeah, good... Um, th- yeah, they pretty, make good games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even though I hear that that Medal of Honor uh, VR game isn't very good, sadly. Um, oh, but oh. Uh, never, never mind. Um, so I did put down which developer was the big loser this generation, Matthew. And then I felt bad for that wording because who knows what factors go into like making... Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, um, So I don't want to say big loser, but who didn't win this generation? Uh, I think this was... I know, this is a very specific development studio and a very specific series. Um, I think Halo had a real dud run of it this generation um, with 343. Not really there for, you know... They had the Master Chief Collection, which was obviously like a big early kind of stinkeroony in terms of like the story around it. it was like, but you know, it was just a bit of it was janky, a bit all over the place. It'd been made by lots of different people. It was just a bit of a mess when it came out, which was a shame. It should have been a big celebra- celebratory thing. Um, and then Halo Five was just uh, just felt like there was no excitement around it. I mean, uh, this might be just a hangover of editing xbox mags from that period but like at a time where everyone else you know playstation were looking forward to like uncharted 4 you know here's here's us dealing with this sort of the 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 resoundingly 8 out of 10 halo 5 um great multiplayer 
stuff single player. Um, I just felt it was a, a, a franchise and a studio that didn't really kind of get much of a firm footing this generation. So not a huge loser as such. Like, they're still open, which is more you can say for several other studios, you know, and, and I'm looking forward to Halo Infinite. But, um, yeah, it felt mm. like a bit of a... A bit of a sad generation for old Master Chief. It looks rough on paper that in the time between Halo Four and now, there's been one Halo game. Um, yeah, there was Halo. There were Halo Wars Two as well, which is you know yeah. solid sort of well not like a, a console selling kind of game, but you know a solid strategy game. Yeah, um, co-made by CA, but um, yeah, like uh, on paper, doesn't look the best. No, um, it's just, just like yeah, it's a bit of a shrug of a generation for them, I guess. Yeah. So for this one, Matthew, Bioware is my choice. Mm. Bioware still made good games this generation. Um, it still made Drag- Dragon Age Inquisition. But it did also make Anthem. And it did also make uh, Mass Effect Andromeda. And it's weird how kind of rudderless those games felt, those yeah. last two games felt, considering that Bioware had, had a, an incredible form of making RPGs that have um, you know evolved between generations to remain like um, at the top of the pile. Yeah, it's a shame it didn't happen this time, but I'm hopeful for the future. They've kind of like gone to pains in the last few months to say, you know, we are making the kind of games that you want. Um, you just have to wait for them. And um, I'm prepared to wait. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to playing the um, new version of Mass Effect that's coming out this year, the trilogy. Mm. So, yeah. but um, oh, yeah, that's, a good, that's a good pick. Yeah, I can't say they really won, though, this generation. Just felt like uh, lots of missed opportunities. So, mm. Matthew... We have a listener question as well um, from uh, we well, yeah, we have a couple actually. Now I've scrolled down to see uh, the complete sheet that I've made that plans out this uh, this episode. So this one's from Simon, who's a very nice boy <laughs> who follows me on Twitter. Um, so how do you find that your mood affects how you feel about video games when you play them? If so, how do you remain objective when trying to review them fairly against their peers, which you might have played while in a more forgiving mindset? Could the belief that positive moods lead to more favourable coverage explain the press trips publishers put on for the industry in the 90s slash noughties? <laughs> Has the lack of control over the review environment and general low morale over the past year led to more critical critical coverage by the gaming press? Thanks to the podcast, it certainly improved my mood. Uh, what do you make I of love, this one, Matthew? Spicy. <laughs> I, love the, I love the idea that like press events were like put on to just raise the collective morale of games journalists so that generally what came out of them was more positive <laughs> yeah I, I think they had the opposite effect sometimes but um what do you think uh, i think i'm pretty good at like you know coming I, I i i can't think of many games where i've been in an absolutely foul foul mood and it's it's had a negative impact i like to think i'm kind of professional enough to just uh put that stuff aside um I think I'm fundamentally the same person who's reviewed every game, you know, and so they all come from the same mind. Um, yeah, it's, 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 just, it's just not really a thing. I remember reading there was an article in The Guardian once where they were talking about, like, reviews we regret, and the film critic in The Guardian was like, he gave the Fantastic Four, as in the, the Michael Chiklis one, um, like a four out of five because he was going on holiday the next day and was just in a really good mood when he reviewed it. <laughs> Uh, which which made me chuckle, but I think games are just too much of a time investment. Like you don't really have a mood that lasts for twenty hours necessarily. No, if anything, the mood is created by the game. Um, yeah, you know, 
if you hate the game, you've got to play it for like forty hours, and you're gonna you're gonna be in a bad mood anyway. But that's a result of the product more than anything. Yeah, um, actually, last year as well, I felt I was more generous during lockdown, if anything, because games were just a really fun distraction from all the other crap. So I was just like, oh, thank God for games. So um, yeah, yeah, maybe that maybe that played a tiny part. <laughs> no, so that's, that's a good answer, I think. Um, so yeah, but thank you very much for your question and. Um, yeah, hopefully that kind of answers it. Uh, I don't think that it's uh, that it's a factor personally. So, okay, here's the next question. I was um, this is the one I was DM'd. So I mentioned last week uh, right. personally on Twitter, which is very fine. That's from um, Alex Saunders. Uh, I don't mind you DMing me. That's uh, it's appreciated. Um, so, hello Sam. Just wanted to drop you a line about the Backpage podcast with Matthew. Really liking it so far. Especially liked episode two. Game reviews we got wrong. Uh, it's a favourite, Matthew. Uh, nice insight into the way that you both approach game reviews. So. Two questions to follow that. Number one, has being a game reviewer changed the way either of you enjoy games? Number two, what are some of the all-time best articles slash reviews that you'd both recommend? Um, so those are quite big questions, but we can answer them quite quickly, Matthew. So for me, um, I felt at first that being a game reviewer did change my relationship with games. I stopped enjoying them on the same level I did when I was a consumer. And I doubt I'll ever quite get that mindset back of like, but putting a game on and just feeling like, complete sense of oh i don't know what this will be when i play it and i don't know like a kind of a wonder you only get from really appreciating it from the outside however mm-hmm. there's a that is in no way to say that reviewing games has reduced the joy i get from them it's just a different relationship uh, what yeah. what do you think yeah I, I i think very much so i think the main habit the main thing that's changed is just like the volume of stuff i have to play like i kind of play stuff and move on i don't really have a long relationship with any game which i used to you know i used to, mm. games you know are expensive hard to come by so i used to really squeeze every drop of you know content i could out of everything i played um now i'm quite like sort of i'm quite one and done even with games i love just because of the nature of the job i'd say is probably uh the biggest impact it has mm, yeah that's very much the case like um that's the hard thing about hitman actually is um hitman 3 is out and i want to play all these levels again but the pile of shame is uh, outrageously uh, yeah. big at this point um what about uh best articles slash reviews that you'd both uh, I, off the top of my head it's quite hard to pick out i mean there's god i mean there's so much stuff i, re- I I've, I've really loved um yeah Maybe we can address this um, at a later point in like a different episode, like um, when we talk about you know how we got into games media a bit more. Um, give us some. Yeah, more sorry, that's a, it's a bit weak, isn't it? I mean, there's there's too much stuff. I, I if I only named a couple, I'd probably be offending someone else. So, um, we, we yeah, let's let's cut co- let's cover this in more depth at a later point. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So, Matthew, we have reached the end of this podcast, which I think is our longest ever. Oh my um, god! Thank you so much for sticking with it, uh, both you, Sam, and the listener. <laughs> Yeah, I hope the listeners have enjoyed it. Like, I realise there's less in the way of the kind of like magazine insight that we, um, yeah. you know, that we uh, like to talk about. But uh, we uh, have like a podcast coming up that will totally um, get into that. And that's our Best Games of 2007 episode, which is coming up Ooh. in a couple of weeks. So there'll be no shortage of those kind of anecdotes. But I hope people have enjoyed this insight into our sort of tastes. And um, hopefully they've enjoyed us talking about some of their favourite games. Um, mm. I've yeah. enjoyed talking about them. Yeah, for sure. So, Matthew, where can people find you on Twitter? I am Mr. Basil underscore Pesto. I'm Samuel W. Roberts on Twitter. If you want to follow the podcast on Twitter, we're uh, BackpagePod on there. If you want to email us questions, uh, you can send them to backpagegames at gmail.com. You're also welcome to tweet us your questions, too. And, uh, yeah, the uh, next episode will be Mario-focused. Like I uh, mentioned earlier, we'll talk about Super Mario 3D World in some detail. And uh, yes, you look forward to that. But in the meantime, thank you very much for listening. And uh, we'll be back next week. Bye-bye.